We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the Rotowire Fantasy Baseball Podcast brought to you by WinBet. I'm your host, James Anderson, and this is going to be a mammoth episode. Uh, it's going to be part three, the final episode, recapping the Rotowire Dynasty mock draft. And starting things off, I've got Matt Eddy from Baseball America. Matt uh, was gracious enough to partake in the mock draft. He was picking out of the 13 hole. Matt, how are you doing? Good, James. Thank you for having me. Of course, I uh, really appreciate you taking the time and appreciate you coming on the podcast. Uh, Matt, I thought your uh, start to the draft was just really, really strong and like really kind of um, you, you were very safe, I thought, while also getting a lot of upside on board. Uh, you started with Raphael Devers at pick 13, then you got Garrett Cole in the second round, Francisco Lindor in the third round. Riley Green in the fourth round, uh, Robbie Ray, Max Muncy, Anthony Rendon, and on and on. Uh, what was your strategy heading in um, maybe when you figured out you were picking 13th and how did that kind of play out? Yeah, I like that draft position, you know, because you get a mid-round, you know, going through the first round and then coming back the other way. So I feel like you get a pretty good sampling of talent. Uh, I was emphasizing... Um, you know, upside potential, you know, proximity to age 25, playing time, all, all these important considerations, um, trying to build a, a team that could be competitive right away while also kind of hanging around for a few years. Uh, it, you know, endeavors represented, I thought, pretty good value given um, scarcity at third base. So I felt doubly good about that pick where I took him 13th overall. Yeah, I mean, the... The pedigree of of going Devers, Cole, Lindor. I mean, that's that's just really a really fun way to start things off. And I mean, I I don't know about you. I was pretty surprised that Cole was sitting there for you in the second round. Oh yeah, for sure, twenty sixth overall. I know there's you know you you chase youth a little bit in this format, but I still think <laughs> I mean Cole has a chance to be pretty historic when he's done pitching. So I I definitely love that value as well. Yeah, and I mean, I think um, the surprising thing to me was that he was the fourth pitcher off the board. Uh, I just I think that that's that maybe was um, a, a pretty big outlier. If if people are using this mock draft and and trying to prep for a, a startup that they've got coming up, I would not expect to be able to get Garrett Cole outside of the first twenty picks, and certainly not as the fourth uh, starting pitcher off the board. Um, and then Francisco Lindor. In the third, I mean, 
is this do you think it's kind of more about floor than ceiling at this point with Lindor? I think it's both. I think there are some echoes of Carlos Beltran's first year in New York. How I, I believe they have the same exact ops plus in their Mets debuts. And, you know, this Lindor at his best is a franchise type player. I think the one caveat to be proven is whether he was just beating up on AL Central pitching. Um, I think that will be determined this year by how he plays. Uh, but the way he finished last year was encouraging. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I've I've already ended up with Lindor in one uh, one draft and hold league. Um, you know, I think with him, the I feel pretty good about the power. And you know, I don't, I don't think he's going to hit three hundred, but I, I think he'll give you a solid enough batting average and solid enough OBP. Um, do you think that the days of him threatening to steal twenty bases are gone? Probably. Um, the Mets do not uh, do not give the green light liberally. So I would expect that, you know, low double digits would be a high end output. Yeah, I, I can totally buy that. And then uh, I wrote about this in my kind of wrap up of the, the mock draft uh, for, for rotowire.com. But I thought getting Riley Green in the fourth round, which uh was outside of the top 70 picks um uh, wait no uh outside of the top 60 picks and you know you got him after guys you know you got him after his org mate spencer torkelson like 20 plus picks after torkelson you got him after adley rutschman that's a one catcher league uh after o'neill cruz um you know all good young players but to me this is kind of the perfect way that you draft prospects in a startup like this is to kind of find that guy who's maybe at the end of a tier and maybe who you might even have valued towards the top of that tier. And he's still on the board for some reason. Was that kind of your read on things there? Yeah, that was one pick I felt very good about, you know, a lot of picks you kind of have second doubts even as you're making them, but the value right there was very strong to get, a player who I think is going to be a, um, a major factor in MLB for the next 10 years. Uh, and, and I agree with your assessment. Green, for dynasty purposes, would be number three behind um, Rodriguez and Witt. So I, I just love the value all around. And, and the proximity doesn't hurt. He'll be up you know, by June at the latest. Right. I mean, I've, I've started to talk myself into Green in kind of the end game of, of redraft leagues just because, you know, I, I think I, part of what took me a while to, and I'm, there were plenty of people probably that had him at number three uh, before I did. So I, I don't feel like I was like covering new ground with that take, but what it really was for me, was just kind of diving in on him. I started getting very comfortable with the idea of him being a 15 steel guy, uh, at least early in his big league career. And what kind of gave me even more confidence about that is like, you look at like Robbie Grossman stole 20 bases for them last year. Um, hmm. This is not going to be a team that's, you know, th I'm sure they think they're going to maybe contend in a couple of years, but I mean, they're not realistically going to be like a 95 win team or anything like that anytime soon. And on teams like that, you usually get the green light. So um, I just don't have any concerns about him really at all. I, I know some people have mentioned, you know, the strikeout rates, you know, in the mid twenties, um, what would kind of your retort to that be, um, with the strikeout rate at double A AA and triple A? 
Yeah, that is the concern. The strikeout rate was high. Uh, everything else you look at from his production level signifies future star. Um, added ball data, uh, just, just surface production. I, you know, he projects very well, especially because he's shown glimpses of being able to play center field in the major leagues. Um, and, and the scouting reports that we got suggest that he's a lot better hitter for average than, than I expected to hear coming into the year. So I, you know, like you're saying, you're, you're getting safe five category production. You know, I don't know, you're going to get elite right away, but you're going to get five categories right away. And he kind of just sort of fits that mold of a, a guy where there aren't really any glaring weaknesses. I mean, he was the youngest hitter at double a and at triple a, if I'm not mistaken. Um, So I, you know, I just wouldn't read too much into those strikeout rates, especially when a guy's just being that, um, impressive when he does make contact as a super young guy for the level. And these are the types of guys that I feel like, um, you know, they're consensus top 10 prospects before they debut, but then they even like, you know, surpass most people's expectations just because there isn't that, that weakness in the game, especially from a fantasy standpoint. Um, you mentioned that you were kind of eyeing up age 25 proximity to that number, uh, of course, your next three picks, Robbie Ray, Max Muncy, Anthony Rendon, even Mike Clevenger, Mitch Hanniger, Um, not in line with that. I, I've mentioned um, on previous podcasts that, you know, my general strategy is sort of the same. I want those guys that are maybe pre-prime or just beginning their prime. But the way this mock was unfolding, it's just there weren't really any values to be had on that front. Is that was that kind of your read and the reason you pivoted to these these older older guys with the rounds five through nine? Yeah. Um, Robbie Ray, I, I had some mild regrets. I think I'm drafting him at the high point of his value fifth round here. Um, I do like where he landed in Seattle. We didn't know he was a free agent at the time we conducted the draft, um, but I was comfortable with how he performed in the AL East and in Toronto. So, so I went ahead and took him. I, you know, <laughs> the the mature lefties with with wide repertoires and power stuff. I do like that demographic. So that gave me some some comfort. Um, you know, Muncie, I wanted to lock in some on base upside because that's not the strong suit of Devers and Lindor. So I wanted to get a little bit of balance there. Rendon, I think is just a huge bounce back candidate. Just you know, probably not 2019 levels, but much better than he's shown recently. Um, you know, Clevenger and Hanniger were probably about par where they were taken. You mentioned you had some regrets. Were there, you know, in these first nine or 10 rounds, is there like a pick, like where you maybe had a fork in the road or anything like that, where you just kind of think back and like, if, if we're redoing it, you might've gone a different direction. Robbie Ray might be the one just for buying high, you know, you kind of like to have a little upside for a player to reach at this point. Um, who would have been the, who would have been the pivot there? Yeah. I'm looking at the picks right after him. That was kind of the issue. <laughs> right. Um, I mean, we are talking like, you know, fifth round here, you know, you said you're buying high, but I mean, the, the pitchers that went in this round, like they're either, they haven't even come close to showing what Ray showed last year year, or they're past their prime or there's, you know, durability concerns or they haven't even debuted in the majors. It's not, you know, it's not like you were passing up on um, like Shane Boz was already gone. Shane McClanahan was already <laughs> gone. 
Um, yeah. So, I mean, it, it was Ian Anderson was right after Ray, Joe Musgrove, Grayson Rodriguez, Kevin Gaussman. So um, I, I don't expect to have much Ray in redraft, but, you know, if you're going to go pitcher there, I, I don't, I don't mind that. Yeah. I think the player I was lining up was actually your pick. I wanted George Springer there. So mm. if, <laughs> Yeah, I mean Springer in a OBP league in the fifth round, uh, that was one where I just kind of was like, whatever, I'll I'll take him. Um, and then uh, you took your first. I mean, you you already taken Riley Green, but you and I both think he can be a contributor for you right away. Uh, but then Marcelo Meyer, who you took in the tenth round, uh, not the case, obviously. Uh, where do you sort of? see his value like personally like is he a top 15 prospect for you for dynasty top 20 like where do you kind of have him yeah i think top 20 is about right um it, it boils down to like some of the scouting reviews on him are, are pretty otherworldly you know you talked to one scout who said you know our reports have 70s all over the place for this guy and you know the, the Corey seager comps come up a lot so i'm kind of valuing him at Corey Seager levels in three to four years, like four years. And do you, what, what grades have you guys been getting on his uh, speed? Not very good. He's, that is the downside to taking, to investing in him at shortstop is you're not getting any stolen bases out of a, out of a position where you kind of need to. So that is the, the downside. Uh, yeah. I only, I only mentioned that just because he did steal some bases in his debut. And I just want people to sort of be aware of the fact that like you shouldn't, shouldn't necessarily just look at that um complex league stat line and and prorate it um 100%. but yeah i mean if you're getting Corey seager uh for his entire prime um you can find steals elsewhere and you know dynasty leagues like i, I think for me in dynasty leagues like speed is important but it's not nearly as important as it is in any kind of like redraft league with an overall prize because you can finish middle of the pack in steals and steals don't correlate with home runs and RBI and batting average. Um, so, I mean, if you if you can anchor yourself in those four categories, um, you know, finishing middle of the pack and speed isn't isn't the end of the world. Um, then from there, you went Eduardo Rodriguez, Wilson Contreras, Kenley Jansen, uh, Michael Harris, who's a guy that that you and I have both liked. I feel like um, every time you and I are in some sort of mock together. I'm kind of like there, there gets a point in the mock where I'm like, well, if I don't take Harris here, uh, Matt's going to take him. I think that happened in a, in a recent mock we were in. Uh, what's, what's kind of your, your scouting report on Harris? What kind of player do you think he can become in, in the majors? Yeah, I really like Harris. I think, you know, he takes, he has a strong foundational, um, base of tools. Um, <laughs> his futures game batting practice was, was very impressive. You know, I think there's a little more power to reach. You know, the stolen base total might not be as high as some of these some of these totals suggest in the minors, but I do think he will be a factor, a five-category guy. Um, I, I really like him at that spot. And I think, you know, Atlanta is going to need a center fielder in the next year or two. Um, so I think that's a perfect match. Do you have any concerns? I, I mean, I know... Um... You know, Chris, Christian Pache and uh, Drew Waters have kind of, you know, it, it hasn't gone as well as anyone would have really hoped with those two over the last couple of years. Um, do you blame Atlanta at all for, for them not necessarily developing the way we hoped? Uh, is that a concern at all? 
That's interesting. You know, it's, it's hard to say what the pandemic did to the development of Pache, how it affected him, you know, to be a stud 20 year old in double A and then have a season wiped out. I was, I was never quite as high on waters, but I mean, it's a similar effect there. And it's hard. I don't think I would paint them all with the same brush, but I, you know, I see, I see your point there. Well, I mean, I, I don't really think it, I think it's, you know, different skill sets. Um, I don't think there's anywhere near the hit tool concerns with Harris at this stage as there were with both those guys. So, um, but I, ju- I just think that's interesting that they are kind of looking like they might go sort of over two on those, those outfielders that were ahead of him on prospect rankings like a year ago. Um, then you took you took three uh, guys who are no longer prospect eligible, but are somewhat unproven. Even though they they did have really strong flashes last year, uh, Nicky Lopez, Jake Myers, Brian De La Cruz, um, are those three guys that you're generally maybe higher on than the pack, or did that did just seem like good value? What what's kind of your evaluation of those three guys? Oh, Lopez, I screwed up that pick. Um, <laughs> it was a, I was looking for some on-base floor and some stolen base upside, but I thought he was second base eligible. I didn't do my homework on that pick. Uh, it turns out he's shortstop MI only, so I don't know. I would not have picked him if, had I known that was the case at that spot. Um, you know, and he's going to be batting ninth at least to start the season. So I don't love that pick. I think that was a misfire. Uh, I do like Jake Myers. There is some some concern that he won't start against all right-handers, you know, that he might be – that that's an issue. But I think his defense is strong enough. I think his his production will be okay. Um, but overall, I did not appreciate how quickly outfield would thin. So my outfield is pretty weak. It's just a bunch of dart throws, like, like Jake Myers and like Brian De La Cruz. So, you know, I don't know that I would necessarily – view them as great picks by me and then uh you took ellie de la cruz in the 22nd round uh i know you kind of mentioned in our in our group chat uh that some of the uh buzz from scouts surrounding de la cruz is um very very exciting uh you want to just kind of touch on uh his upside and and sort of how confident you are and the the other people at bar and him getting there yeah, he's one of those players where the, the scouts laud the tools and the makeup, you know, the work ethic to actually get the most out of his tools. Uh, you know, tremendous power and speed potential, ability to stick on the infield. You know, I think there's it's somewhat reminiscent of the rise of O'Neill Cruz when you're looking at a, a taller shortstop slash third baseman who just has explosive ability and that kind of that desire to to reach his ceiling. So. I, I really do like the other crews a lot, especially in the range I got him. Matt, what would your general words of wisdom or words of advice be for someone who's about to start a, a dynasty startup? Um, maybe even someone who's picking uh, like in the back half of the of the draft, like you were. Yeah, I th- I've, the other people you've had on the podcast have had good advice for that. I think you, you don't want to fixate too much on prospects. You want to find those players with MLB roles uh, to, to, to build around and then branch out to prospects when the value presents itself. Like you said, when they're, when you're at the end of a tier and you can 
get a get a steal. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's uh, you know can't can't be said enough, really. Um, but I mean, I think like balancing it right when you like with what you did with Riley Green. I mean, I think that's kind of the perfect way to do it. Like, um, you don't want to be all prospects, but then when a value like that's staring you in the face, uh, you got to recognize it and jump on it. Um, Matt, uh, I want to congratulate you on on finishing the the BA handbook, uh, the prospect handbook. I know you guys put that to bed uh, very recently. Uh, where can people order that, and when can they expect it in the in the mail? Yeah, uh, what you're going to want to do is go to the Baseball America store, uh, pre-order the 2022 handbook, and we, you know, because of uh, unexpected uh, paper shortages, there's going to be a delay in the printing, but we'll make a digital version available in mid to late January. Uh, avail- available only to those who purchase through our site through the baseballamerica.com site awesome man um really appreciate you coming on uh still waiting on our next guest to show up here but uh i can let you i can let you hop off um thanks again for for coming on and where can people find you on on twitter uh twitter handle is matt eddy e-d-d-y ba okay great um thanks a lot matt thanks james as i mentioned we are waiting on uh, mike curlin to join um i'm going to send him a quick message here uh and then uh well actually um I happen to be on the clock right now in a $400 uh, NFBC draft champions. And um, I'm in the third round at pick 38. And the guy I wanted to fall back to me was Tim Anderson, um, who I've gotten in, in two of my slow drafts so far. Uh, and he got scooped uh two picks ahead of me and i started things off with max scherzer and um mike trout i ended up getting mike trout at pick 30 uh and i need some speed i've got an ace i've got a ton of uh category juice with mike trout um and i'm looking at like Tyler O'Neill is like maybe one of my favorite guys here to take uh, in round three. Um, but at pick 38, I mean, that, that is early. I mean, that, that, that would actually probably be pretty close to his min pick if I took him here. So looking at a guy to pair with Max Scherzer and Mike Trout as I wait for uh, Mike Curlin to, to hopefully hop on here. I could also grab a closer. Um, there have been, uh, the, the top two guys have gone, um, Liam Hendricks actually went midway through the second round, Josh Hader. I got my hopes up on Josh Hader, maybe, maybe making it to me here. He went, uh, early in the third round, uh, ADP, even, even recent ADP suggests that, uh, one of, um, Emmanuel Classe, Rysel Iglesias, Ryan Presley, Edwin Diaz could be there for me in the fourth at pick 53. 
But um, do I want to risk that? Do I want to risk missing out on one of those four? Because to me, it really kind of drops off in a hurry. Um, man. So it's kind of, I'm kind of, and then I guess if I wanted to really get risky from a speed standpoint, um, I could take Aaron Judge and just really load up on on the homers, runs, and RBI. Uh, I think a lot of people would recommend taking um, Marcus Semien or Tasker Hernandez or Trevor Story here for the speed. I just, I... Uh, yeah, I think last year is a very clear career year for Semyon. Um, huge downgrade in in a lot of uh, team context stuff with him, um, and he's not a he's not a speed monster by any stretch. And um, Trevor Story, I just I don't love taking a hitter in the third round who I don't think is going to hit much better than like two fifty, and that would be my prediction for Story if he leaves Coors. Um, hmm. yeah so i think it's down i'm down to i think class a class a and tyler o'neill um and i mean those would be from an adp standpoint those would be reaches here but i think in a 15 teamer i mean this these 400 draft champions are uh, about as challenging as it gets um if you if you're talking about leagues nfbc leagues that are not the main event are not those those four figure entries um you know closers are going to just fly off the board here it's very possible if i don't take one i will not get one of those four and then i'm going to end up reaching for a guy who's not as good as those guys and doesn't have the type of job security those guys do in a in a later round uh and there's not even any guarantee that i'm gonna get one of those guys um like i might get stuck like reaching for jordan romano in the sixth round or something like that uh and there are speed guys in that range that i do want um who i'd much rather reach on than than one of these closers that doesn't have that high-end job security and there's a there's a chance that Tyler O'Neill could be there for me in the fourth round if I wanted to go that way. Um, man, this is tough. I think I'm leaning class A, and I am kind of filibustering here um, because I'm waiting for, for Curland. Um... Let's see. All right. I think I'm going to go with, I think I'm going to go with, um, well, actually I'm going to send Carolyn one more email here quickly. Apologize for this. Um, okay. I'm going to grab, I'm gonna grab Class A, uh, just to be safe. I mean, I don't, I don't love it. Obviously, nobody wants to take a closer this early in the game. Um, like, I mean, I would have taken Josh Hader here happily. Uh, Liam Hendricks, same thing. Uh, with it being a 15 teamer draft and hold, like, obviously that you can really get into trouble um, if you don't get those 
um, you know, safe saves early, um, for lack of a better word. Obviously, no closer that I'm drafting in December is going to be a safe pick, but uh, this is going to be a really competitive league. Um, I, I want to compete in the overall. Emmanuel Classe, I mean, by the way, like, you know, he's the guy that had a decent amount of exposure to last year. Um, you know, he checks all the boxes. Uh, there have been, you know, I, I remember hearing some stuff a couple years ago about him in terms of the makeup maybe not being great, which might have been why Texas uh, traded him away. But uh, from a skills standpoint, I mean, he has just exactly what you're looking for in a ninth inning arm. And if I have Scherzer and Class A on hand, you know, that's that's a really nice start from a ratio standpoint. And getting that horse early in Scherzer does kind of give me a little bit of leeway in terms of how many innings I'm, I'm getting from whoever my second starting pitcher is. Um, you know, in a 15-teamer, you're not going to just be completely covered in, in all categories after three, four, five rounds. So the, the lack of speed is, is certainly a major weakness here. But I just don't I just don't like um, taking the obvious speed options here in the third round. Uh, so I am going to jump on Emmanuel Classe. Don't feel good about it, but uh, through three rounds, Max Scherzer, Mike Trout, Emmanuel Classe, and really hoping for um, really hoping for Tyler O'Neill to come back in the fourth. Um, I mean, there will be someone in the fourth that is going to steal bases that, that I can take. Um, might not be someone I really want. Uh, and honestly, like ending up with trout. I mean, that was such a, that was such a, a fork in the road because I was sitting there in the second round at pick 23 and it was between Mike trout, um, Starling Marte and Sandy Alcantara. I'm glad I didn't go with Sandy um, because I'd be sitting here and I'd, <laughs> I'd be thinking about taking a, a closer and not having any hitters on my roster at all. Uh, but I wonder, you know, I mean, that whether or not to take Starling Marte there is is an interesting fork in the road. I think Mike Trout might hit 35 more home runs this year than Starling Marte. Uh, I think Mike Trout will hit for a better batting average this year than Starling Marte. I think he will destroy Marte in RBI. Uh, he'll he'll also outpace him in runs. I mean, Trout is certainly uh, risky from an availability standpoint. Um, but I mean, even like if he played a hundred games, he's still giving me. Um, back of the first round value in those hundred games and on my 50 roster squad, I should have somebody that I can plug into the outfield for him when he's hurt. But again, I mean, I missed out on like, I, that's why picking in the middle and a 15 teamer sucks because, uh, you know, you're not getting one of those top five hitters. Like I'm not getting Trey Turner, uh, Jose Ramirez, Fernando Tatis Jr., Juan Soto or Bo Bichette at pick eight. It's just not going to happen. Um, those are the five complete players on the board to me. Um, I, my, my number one priority for KDS was 
Jose Ramirez, uh, buddy John Fish finally got in there, uh, got in that top four, and he got Jose Ramirez at pick two. Uh, love that because you can just go any direction you want um, after you got Jose Ramirez and you got third base covered. But at pick eight, it was, you know, am I going to am I gonna take Bryce Harper there? You know, would you rather start Max Scherzer, Mike Trout, or Bryce Harper, Sandy Alcantara? Um, you know, I think I I think I do like Scherzer Trout more. Um, and we're not expecting Mike Trout to steal uh, double digit bases. Um, and I think if you if you're expecting that, if you're going into uh, your prep and you're projecting Mike Trout for twelve steals, you're doing it wrong. But I mean, it's in the range of outcomes. I mean, he could. I don't think anyone would be surprised if Mike Trout stole twelve or even fifteen bases next year. Um, you know, I, I'd probably project him for like six. Uh, but with a guy like that, a guy who still has the speed, he he has the speed to steal that many bases. I know he's already working out. Uh, the durability is is a ding on him. But I mean, when we're, we're talking about Mike Trout versus Sterling Marte in the middle of the second round. You know, you got to chase speed to a point, but uh, for me, I thought that was just a little, would have been a little too um, much of a, an overthink uh, to take Marte there over Trout. But um, yeah, I mean, you don't want to be picking in the middle, I don't think, because not only are you not getting one of those top five guys in Trey Turner, Jose Ramirez, Tatis, Soto, Bichette, but like I knew Luis Robert wasn't coming back i knew ozzy albies wasn't coming back uh i even wanted manny machado he didn't make it back uh i knew mookie betts wasn't coming back um you know obviously bryce harper's not getting back so you you're not getting those nice sort of end of the first round hitters uh unless you take them eighth overall which you know, I, I took Sho- Shohei Otani already eighth overall in my other 15 team DC. Um, but I just did not want to have two um, expensive leagues where Shohei Otani was my first overall pick because I just think that's tying yourself to a bit too much risk there. I uh, did not want Otani missing, you know, 50 games to sink me in, in two leagues. Um, but I think. You know, in a vacuum, uh, Otani is probably the best hitter uh, available uh, after those top five. You're plugging up your util. And then the, the most frustrating thing about ending up with Otani in that first DC I did was uh, Framiel Reyes just kept falling and falling and falling. And like you could have gotten Framiel Reyes in like the outside of the first 10 rounds, if I'm not mistaken. And obviously I couldn't take him because I had Otani already uh, clogging up the util. So uh, that is the the one downside there with Otani, but when you're looking to shore up power and speed early, I think Otani is the sixth best option after those those first five. But he carries much more risk than those guys. That's that's the reason why he's going later. And uh, with Corbin Burns going six, Garrett Cole going seventh, um, I think Max Scherzer is the the number three pitcher uh, this year. Uh, he gives you just so many innings, so many strikeouts. Uh, you kind of know what you're getting uh, with the ratios with him. So uh, didn't love that pick. Didn't plan on, I, I didn't really plan on getting Trout anywhere this year, but at pick 23, um, that felt right. 
and then Emmanuel Classe. I mean, I remember bemoaning on the podcast I did with uh, Zach Waxman and John Fish that I didn't want to do any drafts yet because I didn't want to take any closers in the third round. Uh, I didn't say I wouldn't take any closers in the third round. I just knew that that was something that might have to be done at one point. This this seemed like that time where it, it had to be done. Um, yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's tough out there. These 15-team uh, DCs, uh, not much you can do um, in terms of building a, a perfect roster. You just kind of got to make the best of it. Uh, does not seem like Mike Curland is going to make it. Um, he's running out of time here, but I uh, might as well just go over his his roster in the meantime. Um, he had the number one overall pick, and this was a OBP league. Um, and for me, in an OBP league dynasty, it's it's got to be Juan Soto in the top spot. I mean, he just he's such a machine. Um, I took him uh, first overall in Tout Wars draft and hold last year, which is an OBP league. And he like I had so many flops on that. Like I took Eugenio Suarez in that league. Um, you know, I took. Uh, forgetting who else i took a couple other guys who uh, really did not return the type of value that i was expecting them to on the hitting side but soto is just so good in obp uh he's he's basically where uh, mike trout was not with quite as much power but um you know prime mike trout was the same way in terms of obp like he just lifts your entire team up by himself basically and uh the gap between you know Soto's expected OBP over these next you know four or five years, um, and then guys like Acuna, Tatis, Bichette, um, you know Vlad will Vlad will run really high OBPs too, but uh, that gap is arguably bigger than the gap between anyone in terms of like home runs, steals, runs, uh, RBI. Like Soto gives you just such a clear edge in one category that you can't get from other players that are in consideration for these spots in the other categories. And like I said, with Matt Eddy, um, you know, stolen bases and dynasty, they're great, but it's not a category that I think you shouldn't be like setting out to win stolen bases in your dynasty league. You should be setting out to finish top half because again, a lot of the guys that are going to steal a ton of bases are going to hurt you in OBP or batting average or home runs. So I'd rather get those first four categories locked up. Juan Soto is going to do that. So I thought that was a good pick by Mike uh, first overall. Um, then he goes, you know, he's picking at the turn then, the two, three turn. Uh, Aaron Nola and Trevor Story were his picks there. Um, you know, I think he should have taken Sandy Alcantara over Nola. Um, or wait, no, he couldn't have done that because. Uh, George Montanez uh, took Sandy ahead of Noah, so he couldn't have done that. Um, so my mistake, Mike. Um, should he have taken Luis Lucas Giolito over Nola? Um, yeah, I'd, I'd probably take Zach Wheeler and Lucas Giolito over Nola, but, I mean, I think it's it's pretty close. Um, Trevor Story. Uh, yeah, I think that that's, that's fine. Um I would have taken Austin Riley there, I think. Um, 
I mean, we just we have no clue. I mean, if like there if if Trevor Story signs, like I would not put it past the Rockies to offer Trevor Story the most money. Um, like they're dumb enough to <laughs> try to do that, and um, I don't think Trevor Story wants to go back to Colorado because of how much of a shit show it is there. But uh, if they're offering him, you know, thirty, forty million more guaranteed than any other team, he he probably won't go back. So. Uh, if Trevor Story resigns with the Rockies, and all of a sudden anyone who ended up with Trevor Story in a dynasty startup or in redraft, um, you know, during this kind of shutdown period, is going to be extremely excited. But Trevor Story could also end up um, in a, just a massive park downgrade uh, to the point where he would be kind of a three ten, three twenty, three twenty five type of OBP guy. Um, so there's there's risk in that pick. Um, you know, I think Tim Anderson's safer. I prefer Tim Anderson for redraft, as I just mentioned, um, with that, that draft I'm currently doing. Uh, but, you know, you got guys in the third round here who are much riskier than Story. So I think Story in third there is, is completely justifiable. Um, Mike then went on to uh, grab Pablo Lopez and Shane McClanahan, the fourth and the fifth. Uh, Michael Conforto in the sixth. Um, Lance Lynn in the seventh, Josh Bell in the eighth, DJ Mayhew in the ninth, Joe Ryan in the tenth. I mean, he's he's got a win now squad here. I think he he would have a a shot. Um, I love you know getting Alex Cobb in the twentieth. That's a that's a really strong pick as well. Um, so it's uh, too bad we couldn't have Mike Curland on the show, but uh, hope you didn't mind me uh, filibustering there. Uh. But we are fortunate now to be joined. Hey, Jake. Hey, what's up, James? How are you? Good, man. Uh, welcome to the show, Jake Devereaux. Uh, Jake writes for um, Over the Green Monster, uh, or Over the Monster, I should say, uh, mm-hmm. doing Red Sox stuff over there, as well as um, I think he's on the the Dynasty Guru podcast, Dynasty's Child. Yep. Uh, so Jake, I re- really appreciate you joining me. Um, you were picking uh, out of the seven hole, and you went Mike Trout, uh, Carlos Correa, Starling Marte, Tristan Casas, Brennan Davis, Whit Merrifield, Paul Goldschmidt uh, as your first seven picks. Uh, what was your general strategy? Um, you knew you were picking seventh. Um did you have any general sort of strategy of, of how you wanted to build this roster? Well, typically when I go into a dynasty draft, I'm trying to build a team to win immediately uh, and then kind of figure it out from there. Um, and, you know, I know prospects well enough to usually do that and take some late guys that are going to help refresh my team. Um, but I knew with the room that I was entering that I was not going to be able to do that with uh, with the guys who are there. So, I was really going in to uh, try and win in year two, uh, put my team in a position where I could be flexible, um, you know, taking guys that are still really in their prime right now, guys like Mike Trout and Marte and, and some older heads like Witt and uh, Goldie, um, but balancing that out with some guys who I think are right on the cusp of the majors that I really uh, believed in quite a bit. And I think, you know, going right off the bat with Trout, um, I kind of set myself into that strategy of having to uh, build a team that is going to win sooner rather than later. 
uh, because, you know, Trout's going into his age 30 season, and a lot of the guys that I took uh, are either uh, older or injury prone, but uh, have high ceilings. Yeah, Jake, you know, when you, you lay out that strategy, the year two strategy, I, I, I preach that a lot. And looking at your roster, I mean, I think you, you nailed it because um, you do have the, the guys like Trout, Correa, Marte, uh, who, are, who are still probably going to have uh, prime years left um, next year. And you've also, the prospects you took, you know, Casas, Davis, uh, but then even, you know, like Gabriel Moreno, um, you know, those three guys specifically are probably all going to be up this year and they'll all probably start next year, uh, on their big league rosters. So they'll be part of helping you win in 2023. And you got Tyler glass now in the eighth round who, you know, if, if we were doing a dynasty startup, uh, before glass now, need a Tommy John surgery. I mean, is he a top five pitcher maybe at that point? And so, you know, getting him in the eighth round, like you have to be willing to kind of punt on that first year if you're taking Tyler Glass now. Mm-hmm. But if that's your plan to try to win in year two, Glass now is just a, a perfect guy to go get. Yeah, that was one of my favorite picks. Getting him at uh, pick 154 was just uh, kind of ideal because I think you're right. I think he goes in the top three rounds probably, um, you know, if he's not hurt. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I also got a lot of guys at the back end of this draft to to say a few names here. Um, guys that I think that for contending teams, if, if you know, things aren't really going my way, I can flip uh, to those teams that are trying to win uh, in year one. Guys like Brandon Crawford or uh, Charlie Blackman or uh, Corey Kluber, Adam Wainwright. Guys like that who are still really good and are in good positions to succeed. Um, you know, thinking that I could flip those guys potentially uh, to contending teams uh, and refresh the farm even further. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that that all makes a ton of sense. Um, and you you mentioned doing the the try to compete in year two strategy. Is that a strategy that you've ever had the chance to to do before in a startup dynasty? You know, um, I really. It worked for me in TDGX2, actually. Um, that was the first time that I used it. That is our um, second incarnation of the, uh, the Dynasty Guru um, Industry League. And uh, I ended up winning that league uh, in years two and three, back-to-back years. So the league ended up going four years in a dynasty, um, and I won the second and third. That's sort of my general plan going into dynasty drafts, because I think a lot of people forget that you know, dynasties, even though we we would love for them to last forever, sometimes have an expiration date. So, you know, if you're one of these guys that falls in love with prospects and you're going all in on some team that you hope to get to all, you know, come together at the same exact time uh, perfectly, it's going to be a pretty difficult thing to do. So um, I'm a big fan of, of the short-term strategy. I really wait guys who are going to be ready in the two to three year window uh, more than anything else, because I think that that's a lot more predictable. Um, and, you know, trying to prognosticate what's going to happen in years four, five, and six, um, that can be very dangerous, very inaccurate. And also the league might not be around then. Yeah, it's it's a really delicate balance, right? Because 
you know, if you're playing in a dynasty league, chances are you, you love prospects. You, you know, a lot about prospects and it's very tough to trade a really good prospect uh, who maybe has not debuted in the majors yet, or maybe hasn't even shown any signs of like a weakness. Um, it's really tough to pull that trigger in a trade. Um, but at the same time, like a lot of the times that's the smart move. And, you know, you can get when, when you're trading a, say like a top 20 prospect, um, it might end up being that, players peak value in a dynasty league uh not always i mean i I wouldn't recommend trading you know julio rodriguez right now or or even bobby witt uh unless you just are getting a a offer you don't have to ask anyone about um that's an instant accept or something like that but um who are some of the prospects on this roster that if we were playing this out uh you could see yourself maybe trading either in year one or maybe in that off season before year two well, I drafted three really good catchers uh, in this league, Moreno, Alvarez, and Tyler Soderstrom. Um, I believe in all three of those guys as hitters, um, first and foremost. You know, even if even if Moreno moves off the position, even if Soderstrom uh, ends up in the outfield uh, sooner rather than later, I believe in those bats quite a lot. So, you know, I could see myself moving one of those guys and, and getting a pretty substantial return there. I also drafted a whole bunch of just super high upside uh, arms that, you know, I, I tend to be one of these people who will trade prospect arms for more established arms just because of the, the myriad things that can happen to an arm uh, through the course of development. So um, guys like Yuri Perez, whose helium is in- incredibly high right now, Taj Bradley, who won the ERA title in his league this past year for the Rays, uh, Mick Abel, just crazy stuff there. Ryan Pepio uh, from the Dodgers. I, I just trust basically every arm from the Dodgers organization uh, these days because it seems like they do such a good job. But, you know, any of those names are guys who I would be uh, willing to deal. Um, Greg Jones as well is another guy I drafted I'd deal. Um, but, you know, I, I don't typically hug my prospects. Um, I'm one of these guys who looks at it kind of cold-blooded in, in the sense that, you know, um, even if I love a guy, uh, if the value is there, uh, I'm probably making that move. That being said, with with Casas and Davis, those have been sweetheart prospects of mine for the last like three years. So um, those are guys that I made sure I got. The you know, a big thing with this draft for me, which I found really fun, was I was able to get almost all of the prospects that I have a really strong conviction about. Um, and, and guys who I, I like for you know various reasons, but Casas and Davis I probably view as as my core building blocks there for the next wave. Let's talk uh, quickly about those two guys because um, I mean you you cover the Red Sox. Uh, Casas has been a, a a challenging guy for me to rank this off season because. I mean, I could talk myself to putting him in in the top ten, honestly. And you you took him uh, ahead of C.J. Abrams, um, ahead of you know Shane Boz, ahead of Josh Young, uh, obviously ahead of Brendan Davis, who you ended up getting in the fifth round. Um, where do you think Casas should slot in on a set of prospect rankings for Dynasty? And is he someone that you think could make an impact at the majors as early as this season? 
Yeah, um, he is a difficult guy to value. And I think looking at his season, it was kind of broken up last year um, because of his time at the Olympics and then switching between a couple different levels. Um, so, you know, he struggled to kind of get going at different times. Um, I, I have him as a top 10 uh, fantasy prospect. Um, I took him ninth in the uh, tool shed draft that Eric uh, Cross just put on as well. Um, the guy is just an OBP monster. Um, I think that he's going to post some seasons in his prime of uh, close to 400, if not 400 OBP. Um, he's gonna. He's he's very good with the bat as well. I mean, he's not somebody who's going to strike out a ton for a big guy. Um, I could see him posting batting averages around 280 as well. And then the power. He's six foot five and has these extremely long levers, but is able to get to that power. Um, so I think 30 plus bombs is going to be something that he settles into pretty regularly. So I think like a 550 uh, slugging percentage in some of his best seasons. Um, he, he's just a monster. And the thing is that the guy who he bases his game off of is Joey Votto. So he kind of idolizes that slugger who's not just a slugger, somebody who understands situational hitting and things like that. I do think that he will plow through the minor leagues this year and end up in Fenway by midseason. Um, so, you know, and it's also a profile where I could see him adjusting to the majors pretty quickly and not having that, you know, massive adjustment that we see with some guys that have lots of swing and miss. Um, but I just think that the the ceiling is there for him to be a middle of the order masher at Fenway Park for years to come and uh there are very few players in the minor leagues that i'm more confident in um uh, in in four categories there how do you see the um just how do you see bobby dahlbeck kind of playing out in terms of playing time with the red sox and then with heim bloom running things there like i guess the only one thing i would maybe quibble with in terms of Casas' skill set is his ability to hit lefties. Mm -hmm. um, do you have any concerns that just with them kind of bringing that sort of raise mentality up that there will be more platoons in the future for the Red Sox? And then also just kind of tangentially, how do you see um, Bobby Dahlbeck's playing time um, figuring out in 2022? Yeah, um, I think that's a good question about the platoon splits. That hasn't been something that has been a huge concern um, for a lot of people who, who do cover the Red Sox. Uh, talking about Costas' splits, I think they're just confident enough in him as a hitter that that's something that he's going to be able to figure out. And I think that Bloom has shown that he's uh, able to give certain guys of a certain pedigree, uh, like Costas, the ability to go out there and kind of get some run and, and try and prove that they can do it. Um, Dahlbeck is a very different animal. I mean, Casas uh, has a higher draft pedigree uh, than Dahlbeck, and Dahlbeck's profile is just so different. He's so three true outcomes. And um, I don't think that Heimblum is in love with him. He didn't draft him. He's not really um, the type of player that we've seen Heimblum and co. go out and draft. Um, so he would be the one that I'd be concerned with. If I had him in a dynasty league, I'd be playing hot potato with him and trying to maximize my my value on him right now because I just really don't see him having a a place in this organization long term. It's it's tough to to stick a guy like that at DH, and I think that first base is 
going to be Casas is as soon as this year. Um, and then, you know, you, you could think about a move back to third base, but his range has been uh, much worse at third base over the last couple of years as well. And Rafael Devers is a little bit underrated over there uh, range-wise. So, you know, I, I think his best shot is to be with a, a different organization. I do think he can be like a second division regular out in someplace like Oakland or something like that. And then the the prospect that you followed uh, Casas up with, Brennan Davis. Uh, I mean, he's a guy that I've also been very high on. I, I'm going to probably have him um, either fourth or fifth on my updated prospect rankings. Uh, how do you sort of see his uh, big league career um, starting out? Like, is he someone uh, – obviously, he's going to debut this year, I think um, – do you see him having success right away? Is it maybe going to be more of a slow burn? And then uh, what do you see as his stolen base upside? Because I think the power is undeniable and the OBP uh, is also pretty undeniable. Yeah, that's a, it's a difficult one to project here. Um, it's interesting because he is just such a raw guy coming from being a multi-sport athlete, but he has shown the ability to adapt so quickly uh, at different levels. I do think he'll get on base right away. I think it'll take a little bit of time for him to settle into his power um, and to become an instinctual base runner. And I think that the speed is there for him to be, at some point, to challenge for a 30-30 season. I don't necessarily think that that's going to happen for like his first three or four seasons, but I could see him uh, delivering on that promise um, you know, at some point in his mid twenties, but I think that when we look at stolen bases, some of the guys that do a really good job, like Whit Merrifield or Starling Marte, a couple of the guys I drafted, you know, they've got these ridiculous, uh, steals to caught stealing ratios, you know, Wits was 40 to four and, uh, you know, uh, Marte's was 47 to five, um, those guys don't just rely on speed. They're incredibly instinctual. And I'm just not sure how instinctual a base runner uh, Brennan Davis is. So that one, I think, is going to be a little bit more of a slow burn. And I think ultimately what that's going to do is it's going to give you uh, opportunities to buy low on Brennan Davis in a lot of dynasty leagues after that initial struggle. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a good call. Um because yeah, we do often see a, a buy low period on guys that that might have um, some some hit tool concerns, even if even if we think it's going to work out in the end. Uh, another Red Sox that you ended up with is Garrett Whitlock in the 18th round. Um, I believe that was your first uh, relief pitcher. Um, you know, Whitlock, I think obviously the best reliever in that bullpen is that going to lead to him just kind of the cream rising to the top and him just being the ninth inning guy for them uh, sooner than later? I hope not. <laughs> uh, he's got the, he's got three pitches that would allow him to be a really good starter. And I still think that that's his best future is, you know, maximizing his value out of the rotation. I don't think that's going to happen this year, but Bloom has been pretty open about the fact that he wants to go out there and sign a couple late inning relievers. So I have to think that that job is probably going to at least initially go to one of those guys. It wouldn't shock me by, you know, June, July, if, if Whitlock is the guy closing games for the Red Sox, but I just don't see that as a long-term future for him. 
Uh, he really does have three above average pitches and good command as well. So I think that there's still the long-term vision for him is to be stretched out as a starter. And that's when I picked him there, I wasn't thinking about his value to my team in year one as a reliever. I was really thinking about his value as it's going to rise when he does ultimately move to the starting rotation. That's really interesting, Jake. I I uh, hadn't even thought about that um, too much as a as a possible outcome for him. But that's that's interesting. You say that. Um, since we're talking Red Sox and you're you're bringing such good insight, uh, what do you think about my pick of Tanner Hawk in the ninth round? Um, am I my uh, overpaying on on the upside there in the ninth, or do you see? Are you are you kind of bullish on him as well? Um, that's an interesting pick. And, and I think that it could pay off for you, but with some of the other names that were going in that round, I think that some of the other names like Stroman and Green and, uh, Nate Evaldi, Fromber, um, some of the other guys have just a much more well-rounded skill set. I probably would have waited on him, um, we, we did see some flashes last year of him being just an incredible starting pitcher uh, for a couple outings, but the third offering for him really comes and goes. Um, he's got this, this really great four seam, great two seam fastball, and he, he's really good at mixing those two up and his slider. We, we know is a wipeout pitch, but it's just, you know, is that splitter really going to become a, a reliable third pitch for him uh or is he going to ultimately be able to f- figure out the change up and you know unfortunately in baseball we've seen so many times guys that have a really good feel for the slider struggle with getting the feel for the change up they're just very different pitches so if he can figure out that split which he's in the process of of doing um you might look incredibly smart with that pick but if not i mean you're looking at drafting a high leverage reliever uh, in, in the ninth round. And I think that that could be fine because he's got the stuff to be a top closer. I love that you didn't hold back there. Um, <laughs> my my defense is that I, I maybe, and maybe this is just rose colored glasses, but like I, I sort of see, you know, guys like Denilson Lamette and Tyler Glass now having a lot of success as a starter with just the two dominant pitches. And I, I see some of that potential with him. Um, but also, you know, maybe that's partly why those guys blew out their arms. Um, <laughs> before I let you go, uh, Jake, uh, why don't you let people know where they can uh, follow you and, and what you're working on? Um, well, you can follow me on Twitter at, at @devjake. Uh, I do some talking about Red Sox and Dynasty Baseball there. Uh, you can also uh, check out my work at OverTheMonster.com. I have my podcast, The Red Seat, uh, over there each week. Uh, and usually I have some pretty cool guests on. Um, to talk Red Sox. And then um, we're going to be having our last ever episode of the Dynasty's Child podcast. So that is uh, concluding after a a long run. Um, So check that out, probably recording that this weekend. And then, uh, you know, I will pop up on random Dynasty things every once in a while. So my future is very much up in the air uh, with, with Dynasty content, but you can always follow me and I'm happy to reply to everybody. Well, I really enjoyed this, Jake. Uh, we haven't we haven't chatted before, but I uh, would love yeah, to do it again too. sometime. Uh, really, really enjoyed this. Uh, have a good have a good rest of your day. All right, thanks so much. Really appreciate it. Sure thing.
All right. Up next, we are heading across the pond uh, and bringing in Jordan Rosenblum, uh, who I believe is is podcasting with us from Finland. Is that correct? Um, normally it would be, but actually visiting my mom in Montclair uh, today, so nothing too out of the ordinary. Um, we're all crammed in for the holidays into this tiny apartment, but I, I found a corner, uh, a quiet corner for myself. So, <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, and uh, Jordan uh, does work at uh, the Dynasty Guru and is just a generally a, an awesome follow on Twitter, uh, at Rosen Jordan Bloom um jordan's just always tweeting really smart baseball stuff and, and non-baseball stuff so definitely give him a follow if you don't already uh jordan you were picking second um in this one uh you started with ronald acuna jr uh, alex bregman spencer torkelson max scherzer chris sale uh adalberto Mondesi, glaber torres uh so a really interesting build i mean you actually went verlander kershaw as well so you have these five youngish hitters, um, most of them either pre-prime or entering their prime. Uh, I mean, who knows if Mondesi's pre or post-prime, but uh, then you have Scherzer, Sale, Verlander, Kershaw, you know, four guys that have been just sort of the face of, of pitching for an, an entire generation, basically. Um, so what was, was that something you were planning on doing going in, just mixing young hitters with old aces or was that just did that just happen organically i think generally i'm not that much of a planner so um, it's mostly taking each pick one at a time and then trying to make the best pick um and I, i'll reference projections a lot so i'm still trying to be responsible make sure i don't like reach on guys and, and also make sure i get guys that like maybe have good steamer projections or whatever source and um and all those old pitchers i thought were really good values um so they were, they were hard to pass up um, in rounds three and four for Scherzer and Sale, and then seven and eight for Verlander and uh, Kershaw. Um, uh, four, four and five for Scherzer and Sale, and eight oh. and nine for Verlander. Oh. I, I, don't, I don't want people yeah. to think you, you took them earlier than you did. <laughs> no. Um, yeah, great. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, let's let's go back to those, those first three hitters you took quick. Uh, you know, Acuna, second overall. I think that that's uh, – self-explanatory pick he's awesome um alex bregman in the second you know there was a time maybe two years ago where i think i was ranking alex bregman as like a top 10 guy for obp leagues uh because of the age you know the obp there's just a really solid base of skills there um you know last couple years haven't been quite up to those standards uh what do you see uh, from Bregman as we move forward in terms of just what you would expect from a an OBP uh, a power standpoint? It might be kind of just like a cognitive bias and a, a status quo bias sort of thing, but it hasn't been enough plate appearances of struggles for me for Bregman to um, discount him that much from where I had him. I also had him quite high for a few, few years now. Um, and I think he's really safe. Um, if you look, if you just sort by like projected WRC, uh, Bregman, Bregman is typically one of the top guys still around 140, I think on steamer. Um, and he's really strong, uh, patience and contact, uh, pairing. So I think it's a really high floor there. Um, and the power should bounce back It's a little concerning because his WRC projections and his projections generally are much better than his ex have been. He's one of those like chron- guys that chronically 
um, maybe besides last year, tends to outperform his ex-wobas because he like pulls a lot of fly balls, I guess, and because the park he's in, right? Um, or maybe because uh, because of, of cheating, depending on what theories you subscribe to. But uh, I guess for me, um, I think he's he's in his prime. He's or he's got a lot of prime years ahead of him, and he's really safe. So I thought that was a pretty safe pick. I didn't feel amazing about that one or anything, but I thought it it was a, it was all right value there. Yeah, I mean, is he someone that you would recommend people maybe try to trade for this offseason? Um, definitely. I think uh, in the Dynasty Guru um, Writers League, I I tried to buy low from Brett Sayer um, last year, but it it wasn't really he wasn't really coming at a a discount, and I think that's true still in a lot of leagues. But I I do think if you can get him at a second or third round value, um, I think he's a strong a strong bounce back. So I I would definitely um, look into that. Yeah, you're probably barking up the wrong tree there uh, with Brett. Um, <laughs> now, I, I want to challenge you a little bit on this next pick, Spencer Torkelson, uh, early in the third round, and you took him, um, you know, ahead of, well, you know, more than 20 picks ahead of his teammate Riley Green. Um, I definitely see the case of taking him ahead of like Adley Rutschman, O'Neill Cruz, um, but. I mean, is this a situation where you're just really, really high on Spencer Torkelson? Like, do you have any regrets about that pick? What What was kind of the thought process with that one? Um, I think I, I that one I felt good about uh, better better than uh, the Bregman pick, I think. And um, but I, I wanted to be careful not to reach on him. But I think Torkelson, at least in a lot of lists, I would have to double check yours again. But I think he tends to be like right after. Julio and Wit, and then it's typically Torque. So I think somebody would have probably taken him there if I if I didn't. Um, and it, it's partially hype and partially the. Uh, so I do. Um, I kind of do a stats first approach with my prospect evaluations, and um, I do projections. And I think his numbers look really good in the minors. Um, above average walk rates, uh, above average strikeout rates, and a lot of power. His bat pips have been low, which I, I think is just luck. So I think he's kind of underrated now. If you just look at like his minor league WRCs, I think that's kind of hurt by low bat pips. And I think it's a smaller sample. Um, and he, of course, he had a great track record, pre-professional uh, track record in college. So I think there's a lot of good upside there. I think he's the safest bat. Um, from a WRC perspective, I, I could take him maybe even over Julio or Witt, but I would rather have those two because um, they're more well-rounded, I think. But I think just from a bad only perspective, the combination of hype and performance for Torque is really hard, um, really hard to match. Yeah, I I don't have him third, but I also okay. do mine for batting average and not OBP. So um, yeah, I mean he he definitely gets a bump in OBP. Um, yeah, but then you know Max Scherzer, Chris Sale, Justin Verlander, Clayton Kershaw. Uh, I actually just took Max Scherzer with the eighth overall pick in a in a. 15 team draft and hold so you know i'm i'm expecting uh more ace years ahead for him uh chris sale you know i mean i think he looked pretty promising towards the end of last year uh i verlander was a guy that if you were fortunate enough to get in a early draft this year you could get verlander in like the 150s uh now he's going inside the top 100 um I think you know people saw the steamer projection and that that might have just boosted him like five rounds. 
uh, and then Kershaw, you know, he's he was the last one, but I think that's understandable just given the fact that he's hurt and the other three are are not. Um, did you have a favorite of those four old pitchers from a value standpoint? Um, well, I think generally that they're kind of the most interesting part of my draft, I think, like um, based on people's reactions to my draft, because um, I don't know if you spoke to Dylan yet, but he did the projections. Yep. Yeah, so the 22 22- uh, 2022 project steamer projections have my pitching staff as the best like by far like 20 standings points ahead of the next team and that's a product of the, right. these four basically um and it, i mean it makes sense i i couldn't get i'm not gonna no one's gonna spend a first on scherzer in a dynasty setting like they would in a redraft but i totally would in a redraft um but i think these guys they shouldn't be retirement risk for at least a couple years verlander signed two years scherzer signed three years um Sale is younger than the other guys, and he looked normal again last year. Kershaw is actually the biggest retirement risk. I think there's, it wouldn't be the most shocking thing if he retired right away, but but I think he will probably land a contract somewhere. And he's not he's like not that old yet, maybe 33. Um, so I think with pitching, I, I'm kind of like a kind of like no that I don't know that I don't know very much. And I'm not great at projecting pitchers. Um, prospect pitchers have given me fits and um, I find it very frustrating to like pour a lot of assets uh, into prospect pitchers or young guys that I'm expecting development from. Cause I'm just not that good at that. I don't know that anybody's that good at that. Cause I think pitch- pitching is very hard, but I think people are better than me. Um, but I think pitching, there's a lot of roundness. There's a lot of injury breakdowns. So I'm happy to get, uh, two, three years of, of like, at least of, of really upper echelon performance from these guys. And then I'm going to have to be churning in a dynasty setting, which I, I like to do with old, I like to target guys that are established. They're good already. Um, but then I have to be aggressive with my prospects and I'll have to dedicate a lot of assets to um, continuing to acquire more and more pitchers so that the, the churn never ends, I think. So I can tell you right now, uh, Alberto Mondesi and Glaber Torres, your picks in the sixth and seventh round. I know uh, for a fact that Steamer likes both of those guys way, way, way more than I do um, for this upcoming <laughs> season. Yeah. Um, did you have you done any kind of like you know questioning in terms of like the Steamer projection, like and sort of saying like, okay, do I fully buy into this with those two guys, like? are you as bullish on Mondesi and Torres for 2022 as steamer is? Well, I think the thing with Mondesi is I don't think his steamer projection is that controversial in a sense. Like if you look at the rate stats, 90 WRC, nobody thinks he's a good hitter anymore. That debate's kind of over, but I think everybody also kind of agrees. He has good counting stats. He has like, if you look at his career numbers uh, per 600 plate appearances, it's around 15 to 20 homers. And like, I don't know, a ton of steals. Um, Steamer has similar projections, like 19 homers, 40 steal, 42 steals in, in 550 plate appearances. I think that's fine. Um, and I think if he plays, he's going to get good counting stats. He's not going to be a good hitter unless, you know, he has a lucky bat pip or something. Um, but I do think there is more risk than usual with Mondesi. It's OBP setting, so it makes sense that he fell. And we, we don't know, um, like with Nicky Lopez emer- emerging um, and which getting called up, uh, we don't, there's more risk than usual that the playing time won't be there. So, so I think Mondesi is more concerning, but I still think it's such a juicy 
um, fantasy line that um, what taking when I did, I think post hundredth pick, um, I don't think it's, it's a huge risk and there's, there's good upside there. Uh, Glaber, I think he's shown similar walk rates and strikeout rates to his career norms. Um, and he's had the last, uh, or 2021 and the, and the shortened 2020, um, the power output was way down, but I think his track record before then power wise was, was, uh, strong and he's young. So I think he'll bounce back there. And he did start running more than last year, so that's a bit nicer. I don't know if that will be sustainable, but Steamer kind of buys it. I'm a little bit iffy on that, but uh, they had him at 14 steals, which is pretty nice. Um, I think it's a more well-rounded game, game than people expect from Blay Bear um, if the power returns. Yeah, I think with with Mondesi, I just I think Steamer's just way too high on the plate appearances. Like I'd I'd probably take the under on 400 plate appearances from him. Yeah. Um, and then with Glaber, I think Steamer is weighing his 2019 power output and his 2021 stolen base output too much um, into the thing. But I, you know, I, I mean, I think with Glaber at the very least, you're you're right about the OB the OBP skills are there for sure. Uh, the age, I mean, I think his playing time is much more locked in than than Mondesi's. Um, and then uh you know we'll move on to to round 10 alejandro kirk uh absolutely love alejandro kirk i mean if you if you told me alejandro kirk was gonna start like 110 games for the blue jays this year i would probably project him to be like a top five fantasy catcher um who knows if that'll happen uh, and then you took Edwin Diaz in the 11th. Uh, what was, was it kind of the available players? Um, like what, what led you to get your first catcher and your first closer in rounds 10 and 11 there? Well, Kirk, as part of my like brand, I've been like hyping Kirk for his whole professional career. And I think people have come to expect me to take Kirk. And if I don't take Kirk, <laughs> it kind of makes them feel a little unsettled in the universe. So I saw catchers were starting to go. I think Melendez went a little earlier I was like, all right, this is the, I waited. Uh, every draft is like a challenge for me of how long can I wait before I take Kirk? Um, I think the bat, the bat skills are, re- are really strong. He walked almost as much as he struck out last year. Uh, the power looked good. The underlying ex-woba barrel rate looked really strong. I think he's going to hit enough to force his way into the lineup. Um, I think he's not as well-rounded of, of a player as like Gabriel Moreno um, he's not as good a defender as as Danny Jansen, but I think he's by far the best hitter out of these guys. Um, so whether it's in Toronto or elsewhere, I think he'll hit. Maybe he could be spread out or, on DH or, or catcher. Um, but yeah, I just I wanted to defend my brand because um, I've I want to kind of walk the walk if I'm going to be hyping Kirk publicly. I also want to like take risk on Kirk publicly. I try to, I'll try to be consistent, although it's hard, it's hard to be fully consistent, but, um, uh, and then Diaz, I think, uh, he, he's, he's, his velocity was career best last year, like a mile per per hour over his norms. Um, his peripherals were maybe a little bit, uh, worse than his career norms, but I think he's really reliable. Um, and I think there's some, people are can be a little skittish on him because of blown saves. But I think with closers, like generally it's very fickle. Uh, it's a small sample size. Like the nature of the job is a small sample size, but I think he's got as good a skills as almost anyone uh, as a reliever. So uh, I was happy to get DS my first closer. 
although closers are like the hardest to value, I think, in a dynasty setting, the biggest tension between long-term, short-term with, with closers. Yeah, I mean, yeah, definitely. Uh, just really, really unpredictable when closers are going to get taken in a draft like this, right? Like, you, yeah, there aren't there aren't really closer runs in a dynasty draft the way that there are in in a redraft league. Uh, they're all kind of just spaced out. Um, really quick with Kirk, you know, I think my I think you hit on some things that I, I think are are the case where I, I think my guess is that. There's there's already been some talk that Gabriel Moreno could play some third base. Um, if I think if they believe in Moreno playing third base, uh, then that solves a lot of their problems. If they want to keep Moreno at catcher, I do think a trade makes a lot of sense. And I know there have been like rumors of maybe Kirk to like the Marlins um, for for pitching that type of thing. So uh, you know if we get to opening day and Kirk is kind of has a clear path to sort of be a, a primary catcher somewhere. I mean, I think that he's just going to be uh, super valuable. Um, Jordan, before, uh, before I let you go, um, was there anything you wanted to touch on just from a, a strategy standpoint for anyone who might have a, a startup dynasty um, that, that, that might be coming up here uh, later this off season? Um, yeah, so I, I, was, I was thinking about this heading in, and I think a couple rules of thumb that you definitely can violate as needed, but um, I think in the top 40, I would only consider three pitchers. I would consider Cole, uh, DeGrom, and Burns, and I wouldn't touch another pitcher in the top 40. I think they're too risky, and the discounts on the old guys are, are too good. I would rather wait and get an old guy, Scherzer, who's going to have similar performance to anyone you're going to take um, besides those three in the top 40. Um, it'll just be for a shorter time. But I think the trade-off is worth it. You can get a, you can use your top forty pick on on a bat, um, a safer bat. I think. Uh, the other thing is, I wouldn't stress too much about filling out your roster in most settings. So we're in a twenty-teamer, pretty deep, but still the waiver wire should be um, quite rich. So if you're confident and you're active, you're confident in your waiver wire ability. Um, don't worry too much about. It kind of sucks to look at when you're drafting and you see you still have a couple empty spots. Um, but I would kind of resist that urge to fill those empty spots. Just take who you like, uh, get the, get the guys you, you really love, and, and you you can trade. You can you can use the waiver wire. Um, so like I, I waited very long to fill out my start. I was one of the last teams to fill out my starting lineup with Carlos Santana and Lorenzo Cain um, and Tommy Listella. But I think those those guys um, has have various. Uh, um, tantalizing aspects for how late I got them. Uh, and it's not that hard to find replacement guys to fill out the end of your lineup. So I would try to resist the urge to stress about that. I think that's really good advice, Jordan. Uh, why don't you let people know where they can find you um, and what you might be working on right now? Um, so I, I did a month ago, I did projections for the top 1000 prospects and that's at the dynasty guru and you can just search like prospect projections dynasty guru you should find it um and then all my stuff's on twitter um and i do a website with ross jensen where we post like leaderboards of our statistics stat line scouting uh, it kind of is the raw data that goes into the projections um and the projections basically just take every minor league performance um and they convert them to a major league baseline adjusting for league difficulty um and they also use aging curves to convert them to a peak um, equivalent statistics. So you basically can get all statistics 
um, instead of comparing apples to oranges, you get everybody at the same baseline. It makes it easier, a little less time consuming to compare guys. Um, so that's the general thing. And thanks, James. Uh, it's the first time I think we've we've chatted in this form, but uh, I've been following you for a long time. So it's it's, it's very nice uh, chatting and this is a good conversation. Appreciate it. Yeah, man, I really appreciated it. Uh, I'm sure we'll do it again sometime. And uh, thanks again for, for taking the time and thanks for participating in the mock draft, Jordan. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Take care. Yeah, you too. All right. Uh, we are now going to be joined by Michael Richards. Uh, you guys know Michael for, for all the great stuff he does on Twitter. Uh, Michael also, um, I think you do prospects 1500 as well as roto fanatic uh so michael's a really busy guy but really appreciate you taking the time to join me michael how you doing i think you might be muted or your mic might not be working um hopefully uh if you think you got it working michael uh we'll, we'll bring you back in uh but yeah like i was like i was alluding to um it's MP Richards 1981 on Twitter. And, you know, he, Michael and I have a very sort of similar um, style in terms of, uh, you know, when we tweet about prospects, he does it probably 10 times more often than I do, uh, which, you know, hats off. Um, it's, you know, he's a busy guy, uh, but, we I think we both like to sort of find some kind of nugget on a prospect and and tweet that out and and Michael's great at it. Um, can Michael, me, Michael, uh, can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? Yeah, can you hear me? Yeah, I'm getting a yeah. little bit of background noise, like I'm hearing myself a little bit. Um, but I maybe maybe not anymore. Uh, let's uh, let's just see how this goes. I think we might we might have it now. Um, but Michael was picking twelfth. And he started things off with Jose Ramirez in the first, Shane Bieber in the second, Cedric Mullins in the third, Andrew Vaughn in the fourth, Dylan Cease in the fifth, Corbin Carroll, Jake Cronenworth, J.D. Martinez. Uh, Michael, what was your general strategy heading into things? Did you have a, a plan um, where you're just going to kind of take best available for a couple of rounds and see how it developed? What, what were you thinking? Well, my general strategy was influenced heavily by my experience playing against industry players last season and my old style that I'd used in my home leagues and against lesser experienced players didn't quite work as well. So basically I'm, I'm someone who's really into prospects. So my natural instincts is to go for upside and all that stuff. But I, I followed what all the good players were doing the people who beat me last year. And so my strategy was focused on winning now, being competitive immediately. My first three rounds were done in like a redraft style. So I was looking at five category hitters, you know, that were still in their prime. And I also know myself that I generally don't do well on pitching if I wait a long time. So I wanted to make sure that I was getting in when tears were falling off and certain players. And I felt like I did that with my first few picks. Um, Generally, I wasn't planning to touch on prospects in like the first 250 picks. I just felt like I needed to take that approach to stay on track because I knew how important it was for myself to have MLB depth in this thing. And uh, 
unless I felt like someone potentially special fell. And that's that's where I stepped in with Corbin Carroll. I think I picked him as the, the 18th prospect off the board, and I see him quite a bit higher than that. So I was willing to go in that direction for that one pick. I also wanted to draft one elite closer just because of how few there are these days. And I didn't quite know where to jump in on those, but I, I definitely got that with uh, Liam Hendricks. And another thing, I'm willing to add older players just because I know that they're not as valued in these types of leagues. And I just, I've just seen the, the impact that they're capable of having, you know, someone like I drafted Nelson Cruz in the 16th round and, Assuming he stays healthy, he's going to give me far better production than that draft spot, at least in this coming season. Yeah, and you got J.D. Martinez in the eighth, as I said. And, yeah, so, I mean, you you had a nice uh, kind of mix here. Um, let's go back to, to those first few rounds. Uh, you know, Jose Ramirez, 12th overall. I think that's very self-explanatory. Um, kind of a, a, a chalk pick, really. I mean, I, I look at who else was there. Uh yeah, pretty easy call. Um, Shane Bieber, middle of the second round, um, sandwiched in between Garrett Cole and Brandon Woodruff. Um, and you took Bieber, you know, ahead of, you know, like Hulu Urias, Sandy Alcantara. Uh, was that a tough call? Were you weighing Bieber versus other arms there? Uh, what went into that pick? Yeah, I, I obviously, when my pick was coming around, I saw Cole, Bieber, and Woodruff as the tier the last remaining of that elite tier, I guess I'd say. And I was thinking I was going to take Woodruff. And then I just I just started looking into both of them, looking into projections, thinking about how much I liked Bieber entering last season. And just looked at it. He was a couple years younger. And I, I guess I just took the, the risk in that situation. I may, considering that I took Dylan Cease in the fifth, I may... If I could go back, I may want to take Woodruff there for a safer arm to pair with Cease. But in general, I see this as an opportunity to buy Bieber, who I see as an ace going forward. And, and Woodruff is very safe, and I like him a lot, but I don't see as much upside, I guess, with him. Yeah, I mean, I think that's fair. We've we've seen Bieber. Um, you know, we saw what he did in, in 2020, 2019. Um you know, it's just that the the fact that he was hurt last year. I think if he if he comes out and looks like vintage Shane Bieber in spring training, and then into April, I think you know in Dynasty he will be kind of back to being a consensus top five pitcher. Um, now, probably your most, uh, I wouldn't say not not controversial, but like Cedric Mullins in the third round. Um, I have been pretty unwilling to kind of buy in uh, to last year being anything other than a, a career year for Cedric Mullins. Now you don't have to pay. Like, it's not like you're, you're having to pay for a repeat of last year. Um, at least in redraft, you know, he's going kind of at the two, three turn um, here. You got him around pick 50. And he is young. He does provide value with his glove. Uh, he does not have anyone threatening his playing time. It's a nice home park. Um, it's really the only major like holdup I have is that like Cedric Mullins, I didn't have ranked at all in my top 400 dynasty rankings before last year. And so it's just hard for me to 
go from that to this? Um, was that a pick that took some conviction from you? Have you been kind of more of a Mullins believer than I have up until this point? No, I'd say you just accurately described my opinion on Cedric Mullins all the way through. I He was pretty much off my radar. I mean, I knew who he was, but he was not someone I had ranked highly. He was not someone I was targeting in drafts last year. And even when I made the pick in this, you know, there were people who said, oh, that's a great pick. I can't believe Mullins fell that far. And I'm the reason I made that pick is because of the type of player that he is, the type of stats that he could bring. Yeah, I was expecting to draft someone like Starling Marte there. I didn't necessarily think Mullins would last because he's five years younger, four years younger. And so it was just really like what other Randy Rosarena was gone. Like I didn't see the five category guy in his prime that has all those things going for him. And I, I, I am a little suspicious of it because it came out of nowhere, but it's not the first time that a guy has kind of it clicked when he was 26, 27 years old. So if he is the even 80% of this player, I think it, it will work out for me. And if he somehow is the player we saw last year, I, I just think it could be a, a great pick, basically. Yeah, I mean, he's he's six years younger than Starling Marte. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, if he, yeah, it, I, I don't know. I mean, it's funny. It's kind of almost funny that he went back-to-back back with Christian Yelich in this draft because they're basically – coming from the exact opposite direction um and just meeting kind of in the middle of round three here um your fourth round pick was andrew vaughn uh you know i like i like that pick because that's a that shows some conviction there with vaughn i think it's been like anyone who talks about his 2021 season as a disappointment i think is really kind of misunderstanding um prospect development and especially the situation he was in learning a new position and everything like that. Um, how do you envision his development kind of continuing from here? Do you think that we're in for a breakout year for Vaughn? Is, is it maybe going to take another year or two? Well, my thoughts on Vaughn at the time I was picking him was I, I put my mindset back into how I viewed these players essentially last year, you know, and I always saw him right there behind Torkelson and so I still kind of slot him in in that range when it comes to first baseman. I was looking at the first baseman. There's not a ton there. I mean, there is players who can fill, but as far as young players who are up and coming, even in the minor leagues, it's it's not very deep. So I felt like with with how much he got his playing time messed with last year, he was in and out of the lineup. He was never really up near the top of the lineup. It, there's just so many things. Like, like you said, it's not going to happen click immediately, but, you know, he didn't strike out a lot. Like he's got the hit tool. He's got the power. And I guess I just see this as a moment to buy him in dynasty because, because basically there's, I, I don't see him getting worse. I see him getting better and looking at the whole position as a whole in first base, it just seemed like it was a time to go in on him. I'm still high on him. I think he's going to end up in the middle of the order once they're ready to just give him that role. And I see him as a four category slugger, you know, for a decade plus. Yeah. I mean, he's, I think you could trade for him right now in dynasty. Uh, you can draft him basically not for free, but close to free and redraft right now. Um, I mean, there's, there's a lot of uh, people that play redraft who I think are not even sold on him 
being a nearly an everyday player this year. So, I mean, I think he's, if you believe in Andrew Vaughn, this is a great off season to, to really load up on him. Um, Dylan Cease, as you said, was your fifth round pick. Uh, we kind of got a, a wide range of pitchers who went in this round and, and into the sixth round. Was there any other consideration there for you uh, other than Cease in the middle of round five? Well, actually, I had considered Cease in round four because I was on the, the win now mindset. So I, I went with Vaughn. I felt like I could get a pitcher I liked in the next round. And so when so basically I was waiting on him to get to me and there wasn't a lot of thought of taking someone else. What I like to do in, in these drafts is I like to go after a number two starting pitcher that I think can take the next step and become an ace the following season. Last season, I was in on Corbin Burns a lot as my SP2, and that obviously worked out. And I'm not saying that this is the same situation, but looking through all the pitchers and just there's there's a lot of similarities there. And I, I've just dug into to Dylan Cease and like the improvements he's made and the new pitching coach and just all these different things. And I just see so many similarities to how I envisioned, how I was feeling and looking at Burns at the time. So he's someone that I really like as a target, thinking that maybe, you know, a year from now, he's viewed as an ace himself. Yeah, I mean, I I think uh, that's that's uh, that's good to know that you were thinking about him around earlier. I mean, that that really speaks to how highly you value him. Uh, you mentioned the Corbin Carroll pick uh, round six. And I think you did. You did what I've sort of been preaching where um you got you you didn't not take prospects at all but you didn't kind of reach towards the top of a tier of prospects you got prospects when the value seemed right um yeah like you said he went after anthony volpe um you know you took him uh just ahead of guys like gavin lux joe adele um where do you have carol i mean I, you're you're really into prospects um where do you have carol sort of slotted um, heading into this season coming off of the, the injury? Well, as, as I've said on Twitter a few times, I, I think he would be number three or number four right now if he hadn't gotten hurt. So because of the players who are closer to the majors, like Torkelson and Brendan Davis and Riley Green, who I'm high on, I have those guys ahead of him. But as soon as those players, it, basically I'd say I'd have Corbin Carroll number six or seven on my list if I put it out today. And in the reason I took him there is because I do think he can be the number one prospect in a year. And if I didn't think if I wasn't that high on him, I would have just taken Trent Grisham there and got another guy, multi-category guy kind of slipped and is still only 25 or 26 himself. Yeah. I mean, if, if Carol comes back from his injury and sort of picks up where he left off, uh, I mean, Sky's the limit for sure. I mean, he could he could absolutely be the number one prospect. Um, and the guys ahead of him, like you all, you mentioned, pretty much all of them, like they're all going to graduate uh, this upcoming season, and and he won't. So uh, you could be holding the number one prospect in baseball there. I mean, same could be said of of CJ Abrams. Obviously, uh, he went mm -hmm. two rounds earlier. Um, Michael, is there any other pick here that that really was one of your favorites where you you look back and 
uh, you either really love the value or it's a specific player who you would recommend people uh, trying to trying to scoop up in, in their leagues? Well, I mean, my favorite picks probably were a lot of the guys that we've already addressed. I, I think Jose Ramirez is a fantastic first round pick because there's just, there aren't players who give you stolen bases in production in all five categories at third base. Uh, Dylan Cease, like I mentioned, for the potential to take that next step. Corbin Carroll, if he falls to, to a certain spot, or, or C.J. Abrams. Um, I like the Nelson Cruz value there. I, he's just like a David Ortiz guy that I get every year, and he's always one of my best hitters. Uh, a couple other guys were prospects late. I like getting Matt Brash in the 21st round. I think he's going to be the first Mariners pitcher that is called up, and he'll get a good chunk of innings this year. And uh, I'm not sure how to say his last name, but Everson Pereira the Yankees. I know that you're really high on him and I concur. Uh, he's a guy that I, I tried to stay in the upper levels with my prospects, but he was the guy that just stood out to me in that high A range and wanted to gamble on him taking a step into like a top 25 prospect himself. Yeah. Pereira. I mean, especially, especially in an OBP league. Um, yeah. I mean, he, he really kind of looks the part on paper. We'll see how legit it was this upcoming season. Uh, Michael, before we let you go, why don't you let people know where they can follow you and what you got uh, that you're working on right now. All right. Uh, you can follow me at MPRichards1981 on Twitter, and you can find my work at Roto Fanatic. And I, I'll be doing working on finish up my National League Top 20 prospects, and then I'll have all six divisions on there and I'll be updating them constantly so people can check back on that. And my next thing I'm working on is the top 50 Mariners prospects for Prospects 1500, which will be out in January. Awesome. That'll be a fun list to look forward to. I definitely recommend you following uh, everything that Michael does. Uh, Michael, thanks so much for taking the time to join me today. We appreciate it, James. Thanks a lot. All right. When we come back we are going to have nate handy who covers pitching prospects for pitcher list on but first a message from our sponsors we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Blue Wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. 
Learn more at marines.com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price line. If there's one thing we appreciate here at Rotowire, it's making good decisions and even more so making the right decision. Listen up, folks. I have an incredible offer for you with Rotowire's newest partner, WinBet, the premier digital casino and sportsbook app. WinBet is now the exclusive sponsor for Rotowire's fantasy podcasts. WinBet brings you all the latest action with a user-friendly interface, money line bets, boosted parlays, over-unders, round robins, live betting, and so much more at your fingertips. Want a break from sports betting? Head into WinBet's digital casino and take a spin on roulette, double down in blackjack, slam the slots, or try your hand at Baccarat. WinBet is currently available in six states, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia, while rapidly expanding. At WinBet, the possibilities are limitless. WinBet is currently offering all RotoWire listeners a risk-free bet up to $500 on your first wager. Download WinBet now. That's W-Y-N-N-B-E-T. WinBet, the exclusive partner for RotoWire's fantasy podcast. All right. As promised, we are now going to be joined by Nate Handy, who covers pitching prospects for PitcherList. Nate, I can already see that you are muted, um, so you might want to remedy that quickly here. Um, Nate, how are you doing? Very well, James. Thank you. Thank you for always, uh, you've always been very kind to me and supportive of this hobby here. So thank you. Of course, man. Uh, you do really good work. Um, and we're going to cover what you've got cooking over a picture list, but I think it's, it's cool that you, uh, in the middle of this mock actually changed your Twitter handle um to reflect uh kind of what you are going to be working on uh or kind of focusing on uh, for this upcoming season but first let's let's talk about uh, what you did in the uh the mock draft here um you were picking uh geez where right next to you eighth i think yes oh yes pitching specs and you started things off with luis robert uh, in the first round, Julio Urias in the second, Zach Allen in the third, Jack Flaherty in the fourth, Alex Kirilov, um, Aaron Ashby, Alex Verdugo. Uh, so you uh, really loaded up on on pitching uh, with those in those first four rounds. Um, but let's let's talk quickly about the Luis Robert pick. Uh, this one, you know, I he's I've actually seen him go top ten in in some high stakes redraft leagues. Um, so, I mean, I don't think this is that out of line, uh, but did you, you know, were you weighing any other players here with the eighth overall pick? No, <laughs> I'm maybe a bit of a Homer pick. I'm a white Sox fan, but uh, you know, one of the, one of the fun things, uh, initial dynasty drafts for me is I think they kind of give you the freedom to maybe draft how you'd want to and redraft that year, but maybe just don't have the, the fortitude to do so. And I, you know, I think after the way he looked last year, kind of just being more of a hitter, um, 
hitting balls over the second baseman's head a lot. Uh, I, I just, I trust him a lot more than I did the year prior. And uh, I like him. I like his chances to be a first round pick in redrafts um, for some years to come here. Yeah. I mean, it's already happening. Like I, I remember um, towards the end of last season, I was kind of thinking to myself, man, if I, if I can get Robert in the second round, I'm really going to love uh, the type of team I can put together. And I think he was going in the second round for, for a month or two, but uh, he's just not really anymore. Um, so yeah. if you want him, you do got to pay that first round price already. Yeah. Uh, Julio Urias, Zach Gallon, Jack Flaherty, back to back to back. Uh, I sure believe did. You, were, you had the most pitchers on your roster after four rounds um, of any team in the league. Uh, was that a strategy going in? Uh, yeah, yeah, it was. I have been a little bit more vocal of late about, I mean, particularly in a 20 team. Uh, what are these, these tin strap people? What are they called? What are they don't believe in pitching prospects. And I don't, I don't call them tin heads. These tin heads, uh, I think just create a, a good value buy opportunity. Uh, zig when they zag, if you will, the one, Really, the only thing that I wanted to come away with in this map draft was I just wanted to build a a, a stable of of young pitchers with arrows pointing up. The first guys, guys I feel pretty safe about. Uh, you know, as long as Gallon's not swinging a baseball bat, I feel pretty good about him. As long as uh, Flaherty's not licking doorknobs, I feel good about him. I wanted to eat up a kind of a tier of pitcher, if you will, instead of just taking one of a tier. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, if you, if you get decent health from Urias, Gallon and Flaherty over the next like three to four years, uh, that's going to be really tough to, to compete with. Um, yeah, and I'm not, I'm not so much, uh, 20 t- teamer in particular, I'm not so much concerned about uh, hunting, you know, superstar hitters. I think you can do a lot patching up with mud and twigs uh, offensively. I mean, I, I was in a startup 22 years ago. I mean, James, my first 11 picks of that draft, initial draft were awful, just horrible. I yielded like three hitters from those first three rounds that did anything Altuve and Edmund and Luis Robert. And in 2021, that, that team was second, 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 third, sixth, and 10th in offensive categories. Um, So I'm part of the, you know, don't, I think pretty much everybody that you spoke to, at least that I heard in this little series here was didn't want to take pitching early. So like I said, I just kind of want to zig when they zag grab some i think uh you know I, I believe in the concepts of you know there isn't such a thing as a pitching prospect i just don't believe with in the necessarily in the in the action to take about that i want to invest more into pitching not less because it is harder so yeah i mean i think those big leaguers urias gala and flaherty i mean they're obviously not pitching prospects right they're right right they're guys right. who have shown that they right. can be big league aces um yeah. but i think they're still i think they're still very much in the developmental part of their careers i think they're still sure i mean well like for instance like J- zach jack flaherty 
if we were doing this two years ago, he goes in the second round. Uh, Zach yeah. Allen, if we were doing this a uh, year or two ago, he might go in the the second round. Um, right. So you're you're buying those two guys kind of low, and like, yeah, we we might not have seen the best from Arius yet. Uh, in the fifth round, uh, you kind of made my decision a little bit easier. Uh, as you said, you're picking right in front of me. Um, you took Alex Kirilov. Uh, yeah. I think he is being kind of criminally underdrafted right now in redraft leagues. Uh, he, you know, obviously we didn't see a full season from him last year, but what we did see was him basically kind of proving everyone right about him being this stud hitter. Um, was he a, a target? Were you surprised to get him in the fifth round? And sort of what are you expecting from Kirilov in 2022? I mean, I wouldn't say that he was so much a target, um, but he's definitely, you know, I know that I have some guys that I'm probably highest on in most rooms. Um, he is probably one of those. Uh, I just think RBI monster to be the potential to, you know, I think in in some ways, uh, you know, left-handed version of Jose Abreu as far as like approach. Uh, yeah, I just RBIs. I think there's going to be a lot of RBIs in his career. Yeah, I mean, he is he's so good already at uh, waiting back on off-speed pitches and driving them to the opposite field. Yes. And I mean, I, actually, I, that's a that's a really fun comp uh, because. Abreu is kind of the same way. And yeah, I mean, Kirilov's young, but from a body standpoint, he doesn't look that young. I mean, he, he's got, he's already kind of got that old man strength going. Um, Your next pick in the sixth round, uh, Aaron Ashby. (laughs) Now you and I have, we've messaged privately uh, about Ashby and just kind of, you know, really being, full believers in what he brings to the table. Uh, do you want to give a, a quick sell job on, on Aaron Ashby? Um, sure I will, but I think it also comes with a big warning label too. Um, I think it's, I think it's a, a risky pick there at six, but I felt pretty good about this little base and uh, you know, I'll swing for some fences here. Uh, what I want to see is, is the command closer to post July in the minors or what it has been. The slider is a, is a killer pitch. Uh, and I like, I think in this format too, it could work. I like the guys who are, who are kind of like uh, maybe Kopech, like last year, man, I keep copying the white Sox. I'm not that much of a Homer, but uh, guys uh, who could give you some juice in the moment, maybe out of the pen, whilst also being a pitching prospect for you, starting p- pitching prospect for you. Uh, so I don't know, I think it's a gamble, it's a risk, but I, as far as like upside, if, you know, if everything, if the command holds together, he learns some of the black magic that the brewers have over there with pitching. I like the upside quite a bit. So I was willing to take a little roll of the dice there. There's probably yeah. some sa- safer guys. Like, you know, I think Grayson Rodriguez is probably safer. I think he went a little bit after me there, but, um, no, I felt all right. Fine about it. Um, no, Grayson Rodriguez went in the fifth. So, um, oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I actually, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't know which one of those two I think is safer, but I mean, you know, Ashby, yeah, you know it's a different, different sort of safe, right? Different, <laughs> different, you're you're different totally right safe. though. I mean, like if he, if he's 
commanding his pitches the way he was in the second half last year, um, he's going to make he's got a chance us look pretty smart, yeah. but um, he might not. Uh, now you mentioned Kopech. He went in the same round ahead of you. Yeah. Do you prefer Kopech to yeah. Ashby? Yeah. Just because it's, you know, I think starting this year right now, we're there. Like, I don't know if we're necessarily there with Ashby. And I, I mean, I just think Kopech's a better pitcher than him right now in this moment. Uh, yeah, I think I was, I was, if I remember correctly, I think I was waiting for Kopech or Cease to come to me there and that didn't happen. <laughs> You're not that much of a homer though. Yeah, um, I know. I really am not, James. I really I promise I'm not, but I'm sounding. So, like yeah, I mean, you you took Jose Abreu in the eighth, but yeah, not much of a homer. Uh, Nick Madrigal in the 11th. He's, no, he's I a cub. He, he's, he's not there evil, anymore. He's an um, evil cub. <laughs> so uh, a pick of yours that I actually did not like and that um, I think 10-step certainly applies to is the Sixto Sanchez pick in the ninth round. Yeah. Um, you know, now I'm seeing tweets about how he is not doing the stuff that I think this Craig Mish said this on a podcast about how, um, he's not doing the type of stuff in his rehab that the Marlins are asking him to do. Um, I saw people like replying to that tweet about how he's been like out partying in Miami and like, you know, just, I don't know. Are, are yeah. you worried at all, sure. like you share my concerns with Sixto Sanchez, um, sure. kind of making the most of his uh, talents. Yeah, most definitely. Um, I don't think that I was aware of that news at that at the point that I took him here in this month. I wasn't either. I, I think I yeah, saw that like think, the past week. I think it was the uh, SB Nation uh, Marlins yeah. podcast where Craig might have said that. On. Yeah, I don't know if there's if there was a do over one, and I maybe could have done better there. But I mean. This, we're still talking about a guy who is considered by some the top pitching prospect in baseball at one point, like, you know, talent, ability. Now health and professionalism is in question, but I mean, can't really do too much about that from where we sit. Yeah. I mean, this is a really fascinating round because you just have all kinds of, like you have some safe, like I think Marcus Stroman and Framber Valdez and Nadia Valdi to some extent are, are kind of safe options, but you've got some pretty big swings with guys like Clayton Kershaw, Lance McCullers, Sixto, Tanner Hawk, uh, Hunter Green. Um, so that, that's kind of a fun mix of uh, yeah. safe and upside uh, from different guys there. Yeah. I thought, you know, I wasn't even considering this guy, um, but the more I think about it, I think the Emmanuel Classe pick in the 10th might end up, I mean, obviously health, obviously is, we'll mention that with any young guy that throws as hard as he does, but you know, sure. Classe, I, I think you'd have a really hard time acquiring Classe in a trade for the players who went in this round in a yeah. lead. Like if, if someone has Classe on a competitive dynasty roster right now, they're not trading yeah. him for basically any player who went in this round. Um, so was that one where you'd been eyeing him up for a while and just kind of debating when to, to take the plunge? Yeah, for sure. I've had, um, you know, 30, 30 teamers is kind of what I like to play the most. Um, but I've had, I've had pretty good luck. Maybe I just, you know, dumb luck, but taking, taking some young closer relief pitcher types and 
uh, when they're starting to, I mean, obviously class A is already in the bigs and doing things, but when they start to get close to debuting and things, there's always a lot of interest. So I'm not afraid. And that horrible 20 teamer that I was talking about earlier, I took like three or four relievers in the first 11 rounds and half of them didn't do anything for me. So it didn't kill me. Um, and so, yeah, I don't know. I wasn't afraid to take, take a chance on class A there. I was uh, doing some filibustering earlier in the podcast, and uh, I actually just took Class A in the third round of a yeah. of a fifteen team draft and hold. So I really <laughs> hope that really hope that he stays healthy this year. Yeah, um, yeah. Was there any other picks that stood out to you looking back uh, in terms of ones where you just really like the value, or maybe a player that you you think is worth bringing up for people? Um. I mean, I think Jeremy Pena was a fun pick for me. And that's a, I think that's a big wild card uh, where I took him there. I, I kind of figured I'd end up with him thinking I was higher. But, I mean, it's it's weird how these things work out, you know, trying to – I think a big part in 20s is you just have to – you have to find uh, hitters that, that pair well together. And it's funny how it works. As Mike Zanino was the pick of the draft that I think was the biggest relief for me, as odd as that sounds, and how I'd never thought I'd say that. Um, but he kind of put a bow around at least the offense I felt all right about then with, you know, 33 home runs and 33 at-bat ability. At, you know, just it was a good piece for me, and I felt good about the offense then and was uh, ready to pick some more young arms that I was into and things and call it, call it a wrap. Have you seen pictures of how ripped Jeremy Pena looks right now? Yeah. Um, yeah. I yeah. very uh, almost, he might, might be too ripped uh, for my liking. Um, but Maybe. I mean, he's, he's not the um, kind of light hitting defense first shortstop that he was when they drafted him. No, no. And it's, you know, we only got a little glimpse of AAA really um over what the last two years of him but you know guy comes up and hits a couple multiple multiple home run games like with the rest of the profile i'll I'll take a little maybe chance to play soon i'll take a chance there for sure nate uh why don't you tell people a little bit about what you're focused on uh this off season for pitcher list yeah sure so i am working on i think what we're calling prospect pitcher list and review i've been watching hundreds and hundreds of prospect pitching starts and trying to do a little video review, focusing on some things that maybe numbers don't tell us the greatest story about things like uh, development and pitch execution and attack and going to drop a list and update it through the season. Um, more focusing on, you know, I don't know, it's going to try to watch 15 to 20 starts a week and, and drop my opinions and, and observations. And where can people keep up with what you're doing where can people follow your work yeah um on twitter at pitching specs and i'll be that content will be out on pitcher list yeah that's the that's the new twitter handle and i mean you're definitely going to follow along because he's putting in the uh the man hours to to break this stuff down so that you don't have to um really appreciate having you on nate this was fun uh we've we've chatted a lot um, just in like DMS and stuff, but this was, this was great to, to finally meet you. Yeah. Likewise, James. I appreciate you. Thank you. Of course, man. Uh, have a good rest of your day. Yeah, you too. All right.
up next, uh, we are going to have Andrew McMahon on. Uh, he's Trader Andy on Twitter, and he hosts uh, the podcast Stack Attack Fantasy Podcast. Andy, how you doing? Good. How about yourself, man? Thanks for having me. I'm doing great. Uh, we're we're over the two hour mark on this pod, so I'm I'm uh, I'm hanging in there. I got a got a bathroom break coming up here in about forty minutes. Um, <laughs> but uh, really appreciate you taking the time to to come on. Um, now you were picking out of the fourteen hole. Uh, you started things off with Kyle Tucker, then you went Corey Seager. Alec Manoa, Brian Hayes, Ian Anderson, Javi Baez, Kyle Schwarber. Uh, did you have a sort of strategy coming in? Um, you know, I mean, Kyle Tucker, 14th, seems like a pretty nice way to start things off. Yeah, I think he's going to actually improve on that as well. I was uh, looking for my, my goal in this draft was to try to draft as many Guys under 30, basically over 20. I, I wanted to, I might not be able to compete in year one, but I want to definitely be in the money on year two, three, and four. So I decided to go with uh, players who uh, are developed. Even the minor leagues I, I, I got, they're all like very close to the major league. So I'll have help on the way quick. But I wanted to get guys who basically can get on base. I was focusing on a lot of the on base. Uh, Tucker's great. I mean, I didn't know that Kyle Schwarber's that young. He feels like he's been here forever, but he's still only like 28 years old and he's an on-base machine and he was basically like Barry Bonds for a good half of the year this year. So that's that's why I went. I was pretty excited with the first uh, couple of rounds. Yeah, I mean, uh, we can get back to those early rounds in a second, but yeah, I mean, I thought it was a, a very nice sort of um, compliment to go with Javi Baez who's not going to get on base a ton. And then Kyle Schwarber, who is going to get on base a ton. And when you add up their statistics, uh, you're going to get a ton of power. You're going to get some speed from Baez. Um, do you have any prediction or, or any sort of guess as to where Schwarber might sign? I, I'm not sure at this time. I, I mean, I, I heard rumblings about him uh, going back to Boston. They love him there. But I also heard, you know, Washington might want him back as well because they absolutely – adored him there. So he, I think wherever he goes, he's, he's going to get on base. He's going to provide, you know, 30, 30 plus home runs and, you know, get the, that was a good idea with getting Baez and Schwarber together because my uh, roster was definitely lacking a little speed. So Baez, even though he won't be a Met this year, as you see, I'm a Met fan, but uh, you know, he'll, he'll definitely get some uh, stolen bases much needed. So then back to Corey Seager in the second, yeah, you went Tucker, Seager, Manoa, um, was there any, were there any tough calls in there where you were weighing one of those guys versus another player? And, uh, it was just a, a really tough call in terms of who you were going to go with. It wasn't a tough call in the first round. Uh, the guy I wanted went a little before me. I wanted uh, Devers really bad. I just thought, you know, based on the position, third base is just very weak this year, uh, and coming up. And I just think Devers just is elite compared to anybody else. And that was the guy I wanted to go with, but I was happy with, uh, with Tucker there, you know, get the, the power speed combo and he had great on base last year as well. So uh, I was, I was fine with both, both of those guys, you know, as long as Seager can stay on the field, obviously. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's always the question with him, right? Just how many games you're going to get. Um, but it is, it's nice, you know, it's, it's, a da- it's maybe a downgrade in terms of the team context with Seager, uh, but he, you know, you mentioned how young Schwarber is. Seager's still 
right in the middle of his prime. Um, so if, yeah, if he can stay healthy, I think that's going to look, uh, really solid. Um, Alec Manoa, you know, I'm a big fan of Manoa. Uh, you got him as kind of the, the ace of your staff. Uh, he was, so the other pitchers that went in this round were, it went Lucas Giolito, Zach Gallen, Zach Wheeler, Alec Manoa, Freddie Peralta. Um, was he a, a target or is he just sort of, you know, a guy that you, you, some other guys went and so you ended up with him? What was the thinking there? Well, I, I absolutely love the kid uh, as you do as well, but I, I just figured once these other guys were starting to go and I was like, oh, I, you know, I, I want to grab and uh, try to grab my ace right here in the third round because I didn't want to have to go back around four and try to see who was left there. So I was very happy with knowing I think he's going to wind up being the ace of that staff anyway. Yeah, I mean, if if he there's a there's a chance that Manoa is just everyone's favorite pitcher in like a year or two if he's not already. I mean, he's he's so fun to watch. Uh, I I've always liked the you know guys that are just huge. Like CC Sabathia was my favorite pitcher for a long time. I see a lot of that same sort of competitiveness um, with with Manoa. So. I mean, if he if he goes out this year and shows that he can handle like 190 innings, 180 innings, and then just builds on that, I mean, we could look up in five years. Like right now, people talk about how few pitchers there are that can handle 200 innings. I mean, Manoa might be the last of a dying breed in that regard. Definitely, he definitely has like that kind of pit bull Max Scherzer type, like where he just will just eat up the innings and just do really well for you. I was actually not on him as much until we talked last year and everyone wanted Nate Pearson. Nate Pearson was the guy and you were like, Noah's my guy. So I started doing a little more research on that. I'm like, you know what, this guy could be better. And you know, based on injuries and everything, obviously this guy's been more reliable. So. Yeah. Uh, man. Yeah. That, that was, it's crazy. That was just a year ago. Um, yeah. But uh, in the fourth round, you know, keep Brian Hayes, uh, another guy that I've I've been quite high on did not have the year that that people were hoping for last year. Um, do you think that's just kind of a bump in the road? Um, where do you sort of see his career headed um, from here? Oh, I think he played injured most of the year, so he had, he had an issue with his with his hand with his wrist, so it definitely sapped out some of his power. I think he's going to be a really for this uh, uh, league. I think he was really going to be good with the on base percentage. I really did get swiped, uh, sniped. I really wanted uh, India, and he went to pick for me, and it just killed me. But I'll take the consolation prize here. I think uh, he's a young kid. He's going to get on base. He does everything. You know, steals bases, hits for power, hits for average. I think it's the way to go here. And then Ian Anderson, um, you know, I think he's kind of proven that he's pretty reliable. Uh, do you think he's just kind of a, a nice sort of safe number two pitcher in a, in a 20 team league? Do you see him maybe reaching another level? I, I don't know if he'll get to the next level, but I think being only 23 years old, being, you know, had a great playoff run. He, he looks solid. I think he's a definite solid number two here. I don't know if he can get up to the ace level, but with, you know, the Braves and how they're going to win, I think he'll definitely get a lot of wins for me. And, you know, he's, does does everything really well. He's not gonna kill me, but he's not gonna be a superstar as well. So yeah, I mean, you got in Manoa and Anderson. I think you got a really sort of steady one too. About a, you know about as steady as you can get in terms of pitchers that age. Uh, usually, 
you know, we're not talking about pitchers sort of becoming reliable options till they're you know, 26. Uh, Manoa and Anderson are both um, younger than that, obviously. But then you followed those guys up with some pitchers who I would say are not reliable, but <laughs> is, is the idea. So you, you got Jesus Lazardo in the eighth, uh, Luis Patino in the 10th, Cade Gavali, Edward Cabrera, Matt Libertor. Uh, is the idea just, you know, hopefully you can like hit on like half those guys, um, that type of thing, or are you maybe even more bullish than that on them? Well, I think on a lot of those uh, guys, uh, if I hit on half of them, this team will be in really good shape. As far as Lazardo, I'm a, a big fan of him. Uh, I believe that when he was with the nationals, he, he was, looks like he was going to be a superstar. He couldn't stay on the field, uh, got traded, struggled a lot with Oakland. And now he's going back to the Marlins where they, are really, really good at developing their pitchers. And it got me really excited once he went back there. He started struggling when he first got back there because they, they didn't really spend any time with him to get get all get their grips on him. But you know, the last start of the year that he had, they had 11 strikeouts in five innings. It just showed like ah, it's there. It's gonna come out. He's in a nice little pitcher's park in the National League. I think it's it's a good uh bet. Yeah, it's with with Lizardo, it's it's great that the you know, the stuff is still deadly, right? Like that, that's, that's the nice, this isn't like a Matt Manning situation where a guy just does not have the same stuff that he once had. Um, and so I think, yeah, if Lizardo can just kind of get the command ironed out, um, you know, maybe change up sort of how often he's throwing pitches and like what, what counts he's throwing certain pitches. I mean, the stuff is, is still intact, I think. So, um, yeah, you, you hope that this is the the situation that, that kind of he can make the most of himself in. Um, Harrison Bader is a guy you took in the ninth round who I've I've had a, a soft spot for for a while, mm. uh, especially in OBP leagues. Uh, he, you know, he used to be, you know, really really inexpensive in uh, Dynasty um, back when he was sort of seen as kind of a, a big liability in terms of the OBP and the batting average and stuff, but. Um, I mean, I think you did probably have to pop him kind of around here. Uh, what's your What's your take on on what Bader can bring to the table over these next few years? Well, I've been talking about him for years on my uh, on my podcast and everything. I, I love the kid. I've been a fan of him for years uh, ever since they drafted him. He's a power speed monster. I think uh, he struggled a lot coming up uh, last year in the second half. He had a huge second half. I think it's going to – that whole outfield, the Cardinals wanted the whole outfield. that They were looking to upgrade them uh, in the offseason. All of a sudden, they just went with them all, and all three of them hit. And they have a nice young nucleus going forward. And he's a gold-glove center fielder, so he's never going to be taken out of the game. He's going to get the at-bats, which will lead to more stolen bases, more home runs. But I think the bit more is going to come from him this year, I think. I loved the the move you made in the 11th round. You got Caber Ruiz <laughs> – um, you know, he goes after, yeah, not like these guys are, are bad players, um, but like, you know, you got him after Gabriel Moreno, Tyler Stevenson, uh, Alejandro Kirk, Francisco Alvarez, even like elder statesmen, like Yasmani Grandal, um, you know, several rounds after MJ Melendez and Dalton Varsho. Uh, you know, to me, I think you can make a case that Ruiz is better than all those guys uh for dynasty i 
you know, obviously Moreno, I, I love Moreno's bat. Um, not that these guys are bad, but um, I mean, that just seemed like a, a steal relative to where the other catchers were going. Um, was he someone that you'd been planning on ending up with, or was it just a, a matter of you couldn't let him fall any further? Uh, he was, he's definitely one of my guys. Uh, I'm really high on uh, Stevenson. I, I loved what I saw from him uh, year one. That was one of my guys. And when he went, then all of a sudden the, the catcher started falling and Ruiz was just perfect there. I mean, Marino, he might not stay a catcher. Uh, they, they might want to try to move him to third base. So he might lose that catching ability down the road in Dynasty. And I just feel at 23 years old, I'm going to get Ruiz. I solve the catching problems for the next 10 years on this league, on this team. So by the time we're, you know, we're around here, 11th round, are you looking at your roster and thinking, I, I got a shot to win it this year? Are you thinking, you know, I, I need to maybe plan for year two? Like, where are you kind of evaluating things at this stage in the game? Because that is when you you went with the the two pitching prospects who have who have not pitched in the big leagues yet in Cade Cavalli. Uh, well, Edward Cabrera did pitch in the big leagues, but has not really had success yet. Um, but then you went Joey Votto, and then you went back to pitching prospects. So wh- wh- what's your where's your head at here um, heading into the 12th round? Well, I was just trying to get the best player on, on the board. I, I feel that uh, Cavalli, Cavalli was going to be elite and uh, a front of the rotation guy starting this year. And that was part of my uh, team philosophy is to get guys that will help sooner than later. I'm not going to draft any 18-year-olds on the team. But Votto, at the same time, is old, had a monster year. Uh, he's an on-base percentage monster, and you know that—that's a guy that you know he, I couldn't let him slide any farther. And he would definitely be a trade candidate to to go to another team. As I feel, two, three, four years, I'd be uh, competing. Yeah, if if Votto uh, comes out this year and um, you know is like ninety percent of what he was last year, as you said, it, I mean an OBP. Um, that's got a ton of value, especially to a, a team that might be trying to contend or maybe just doesn't have that, that first baseman they feel good about. Um, now you took two guys in round 17 and round 19 who are basically at rock bottom in terms of their, their dynasty value right now. I mean, Carter Keyboom and Mackenzie Gore. Um, what's your level of confidence in either of those guys? Um, you know, at least developing into someone that you can, you can get value out of. That's a, that's a tough one. Cause when I saw them, they were there and I was like, I'm not really, I was a fan of Gore, but then I saw the struggles and I just don't know if he'll be able to perform. I don't think he's going to come back and be that, you know, top left-handed uh, guy in the minor leagues again, but I feel that he could fit into maybe the middle of the rotation. Uh, he obviously has to work on his control a little bit. Uh, he struggled again with the, the uh in the Arizona Fall League as well. But I, at round 19, I thought it was it was a nice little lottery ticket. Uh Car Kaboom, I hated him when I first started watching him. And then the last month he started, you know, developing a little bit, hitting for a little power, getting his confidence there. So around 17 at a weak position at third base, I, I feel it was a, it was a nice little it was a reach maybe, but I'll take a chance there. And you mentioned you're a Mets fan. Um what you took Dominic Smith in the 20th round. I, I like that pick. I've, I've been ended up with him in draft and holds. Uh, do you see, uh, you know, some trades, maybe one or two trades coming still this off season that might open up that, that log jam because 
uh, I think, you know, I think most of us kind of believe in the talent um, and even the talent of a guy like JD Davis, who's, who's there, but uh, it's tough to sort of see how the playing time shakes out without them making a move. Well, I think that once the CBA gets signed, I think that they're going to wind up having the DH in the national league. And uh, that's what I'm hoping for. If not, we're going to need a lot of trades, but I hope uh, P. Alonso is probably going to move to DH. Dominic Smith is going to be the elite fielder at first base. And you know that when you're comfortable in the field, you're going to hit better. I think that he'll be fine at first base when he was trying to play outfield. He's not an outfielder. So it was like Todd Humley out there running around in the outfield. He was just horrible. So I think that he'll be more relaxed at the plate and do a little more of what he did in the, the short season. And do you get the sense that the org still – has faith in him like is he going to get those opportunities ahead of you know say like a jd davis i think jd davis is gonna wind up getting traded him and mcneil i think mcneil is uh uh i had a a friend in the organization say that uh they've gotten more calls on mcneil in the past month than anyone else so i think he's gonna wind up going especially after that uh altercation in the in the dugout with uh lindor so you're definitely gonna make some trades i love jd davis i i just I just don't see a spot for him long term. Okay, yeah, that that makes sense to me. Um, now I saw you tweeting about this guy. You got him in the twenty fifth round, uh, Jonathan Loisiga with the Yankees. Uh, you know, he wasn't someone that I was like eyeing up necessarily. And then you know, I thought what you said made a made a ton of sense, especially if you're talking about like a fifteen team league uh, redraft. Uh, make the case for for Loisiga in dynasty and for redraft. I well, Chapman's a, a free agent at the end of the year. I think they're going to wind up staying with him. Uh, he did struggle a little bit, but uh, I think Jonathan is his stuff is nasty. I mean, he he should be a starter. He has four plus pitches, uh, but they they're liking him in the bullpen because his uh, fastball plays out a little more and higher in high nineties uh, when he's in the bullpen. So I think that long term, I think he's the arm to go with. I mean, he's uh, twenty seven. I think he'll wind up taking over the closer role. Uh, at the end of the year. Uh, so year two, three for me will be perfect. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, it's just, it's nice getting guys like that and like Anthony Bender kind of who you got in the 24th round fits the bill too. Just like, you know, that they're at least going to give you good ratios and strikeouts and in a 20 team league, like those guys need to be in someone's starting lineup, even if they're not getting any saves uh, but both Bender and Loisiga have a chance to end up getting you some saves as early as this year. And if not this year, then, then down the road, uh, you know, I mean, I, I used to dream on him as a starter, but I mean, he, just, I don't think he, his body could really hold up under that type of workload, but I think he, he showed last year that he's really valuable out of that, bull, out of that bullpen. Um, Andy, before I let you go, uh, why don't you tell people where they can, follow you on Twitter, uh, what you got uh, that you're working on right now. All right. Well, uh, I'm at uh, Twitter, the AMAC22NJ. Uh, that's my Twitter handle. Uh, I, we have a stacktechfantasy.com website that we uh, write articles, me and my two buddies, uh, that we uh, write articles all year round. One does football, two of us do baseball. Uh, and I just wrote an article that came out this week, uh, basically reviewing what I did right and wrong in uh 2021 the good the bad and the ugly and uh you guys about it for now well this was a lot of fun i know we've been talking about doing this for a while um Absolutely. it was great catching up with you andy and uh, thanks for taking the time have a good rest of your day yeah.
All right. Thanks, James. Okay. Last but not least, we are bringing on Ben Wilson from Prospects 1500. Ben, how you doing? James, it's great to be on the podcast. Thanks so much for having me, and it's great to be talking Dynasty with you. Hell yeah, man. Um, this was a lot of fun doing the mock with you. Uh, this is a marathon pod, to say the least, but really happy that, that we could get you on here to, to close things out. Um, you were picking out of the 16 hole. You started off with Ozzy Albies. You know, I love that pick. Uh, Walker Bueller in the second round. Adley Rutschman, Brian Reynolds. Nick Castellanos, Tyler Malley, uh, Jorge Polanco, Tommy Edmond. Um, really strong uh, roster uh, that you put together here. Uh, what was the plan going in? Well, thanks so much. You know, in a weekly lineup context, I'm really considering just getting the most major league at-bats. So I'm really targeting major league hitters first and foremost And I'm really picking my spots with pitching. So how I'm really attacking the player pool is I'm thinking about major league hitters. And then I'm thinking about starting pitchers and then prospects. So I'm looking at really three different bins. And as the draft goes on, I'm seeing what what the best spot is to take each of those. So, you know, with my major league hitters, I'm really looking for as many at-bats as I can. So defense defensive skills really help uh team context i do really like multi-position eligibility and versatility um it i think it helps a lot actually not only with team build and the drafting but just long term with trading it really opens you up to to just have so many different uh, options on your roster so you know on the pitching side i'm really looking to get that big established ace and especially picking out of the 16 spot, uh, you know, with, with Ozzy Albies and then Walker Bueller as my first two picks. And then I'm picking my spots with pitching and I'm chasing upside. You know, this, this format doesn't necessarily have, this doesn't have quality starts. So, you know, because there's no quality starts, I'm just, I'm looking for pitcher skills I'm looking for strikeouts and, you know, guys that may have undefined roles, but are good pitchers. Yeah. I mean, given where you're picking, you're either taking an ACE there where you took Walker Bueller, or you're probably not getting a, a really reliable ACE on the way back in the third round. Um, but you did take Bueller over guys like Garrett Cole, um, you know, Bieber, Woodruff, I, I don't think those are really too much up for debate, but was it, was it close between Bueller and Cole? That's a great question. You know, these were the two easiest picks for me, you know, at 16, getting Aussie Albies, a really just young star, five category production gets the speed. And with Walker Bueller, I mean, there's, I think the innings really matter there, um, you know, in a, in a roto format, being able to, you know, make the difference between, uh, you know, some of those guys that may get slightly lower innings, but, you know, I'd really rather get, even if it's a difference of 20, 25 innings, you know, those are going to be 20, 25 innings of Walker Bueller. And so, you know, I, I really like, um, you know, the age, the relative safety, and I think there may even be another level with Walker Bueller, which is hard to even believe, but, 
you know, he's, he's just so strong. And then, you know, really from, from those two points, I can go in, in really any direction, just really letting the draft come to me because of where I was picking. So in the third round, you took Adley Rutschman. Uh, I think he's obviously the by clear top catching prospect in the game, but then you look at how the rest of the draft played out. Uh, another catcher doesn't go to Will Smith in the fifth. And then Sal Perez, JT Realmuto in the seventh. Um, then you had kind of a catcher or two going every round from there. Um, in hindsight, do you do you like grabbing Rutschman in the third, uh, roughly 40 picks ahead of the next catcher? How I look at Adley Rutschman is this is an amazing prospect and offensive player who happens to play catcher. And I think there's a couple things to really consider is – Given where my draft position was, you know, Will Smith uh, absolutely is a steal in the fifth round. But really, I'm taking Adley here or or not at all uh, with, with this group of picks. So part of it was draft position. Uh, but I think it's a little bit interesting to see what Adley Rutschman may be may become at the major league level and really how the Orioles are planning on using him because right now he's catching about two thirds of his games. And if you translate that over to the major league level, that's about 107 games over a full 162. He's really going to be playing some first base. He's playing there about 25% of the time right now and DHing the rest. So I think that this is really a four category producer really potentially a four category monster uh that you know you don't really think about buoying your ratios with with your catcher position uh but really i think adley is just so unique in terms of what he can be uh that i think especially in a weekly setting you know if he's gaining a game or two more of production over the course of the full season that's a huge boost to your roster and i definitely considered some other people at this position because you know i was really looking two three rounds ahead here and i think uh brian reynolds randy rosarena uh randy rosarena almost made it back to me uh he he was one pick shy there uh but i really was just looking at the board overall and i said you know there there are multiple outfielders that i'd be fine taking on the way back and adley was really the the unique skill uh, position at at that particular point in the draft yeah i mean you're really you're talking me into i mean you know dynasty is one thing i you know I, rutchman is a guy who i've had a hard time um sort of deciding for redraft whether i'm in or out at the price um but i think what you said makes a lot of sense in terms of the playing time um i mean that's that's a, a game changer at catcher if you can get a guy who's playing almost every day um do you think he's – is this more about the fact that this was an OBP league? Do you, do you view Adley as an OBP over batting average guy? And then also, how quickly do you think he's up this year? Yeah, I think just on the last part, I think with the new CBA, it's very possible that Adley starts up in the major leagues, really from day one, because I think that there's some things obviously to be worked out with uh, with control and eligibility with with minor league contracts. And hopefully that's one thing that changes. So I think that Adley can come up and produce on day one. And 
in a hitting prospect, he's really everything that you're looking for, right? He has the double digit walk rate, the sub 20 strikeout rate, the three, four, five slash line. And, and it's, I, I think in, in dynasty contexts, it's, but he's a catcher. And, and I think that so many of the values and the skills that, that we really uh, prioritize, I think when we're evaluating prospects, it's all there for him. And I also wonder too, you know, even if Adley's such a good defender, um, but we still don't know what, what the position is going to look like at catcher and, and the Orioles may decide, you know what we want, we want the, the long career stick them at first base. And, you know, that, that is a possible outcome. I mean, if, if there's robo umps and all those things where, you know, the catching defense becomes less valuable, um, I, I think from a comp of, of what you may, may look for, I mean, I'm, I'm wondering if he, even as a catcher is like a Max Muncy with catcher eligibility, which is a phenomenal player. I mean, being as young as he is and, you know, with, with that kind of OBP prowess, um, but even on the batting average side, I mean, he's, he has an incredible hit tool. So, He's he's just so so uh, incredibly unique. I think uh, that you know it's just that that consensus one one talent that draft. You know, I think we've kind of been lulled over you know a weaker FYPD class, and you know he's just he's just an incredible potentially generational type of hitter. Yeah, no, I think everything you said is right, um, and I think you kind of talk him into maybe. I have to go get myself a, a Rutschman uh, redraft share. Uh, probably don't don't have the time or the resources to get a Rutschman dynasty share, but um, redraft, I could, I could make it happen. Uh, you know, one of my favorite picks uh, of your entire draft is Brian Reynolds in the fourth. And I think, I think he's still, you know, he's underrated in redraft. He's really underrated in dynasty. Um, you mentioned the plate appearances. He's going to play every single day. Uh, he's going to hit, you know, very high in that lineup um, indefinitely. And that lineup's only going to continue to get better as they get guys like O'Neill Cruz up and guys like Henry Davis up. Um, and, you know, I'm not, he doesn't have to reach another level for this to be a good pick, but I'm not sure that we're done sort of seeing him um, continue to, to evolve. Uh, you mentioned like you wanted Razarena there. Uh, Tyler O'Neill also went right before before you there. But I mean, how good did you feel about that pick? I was really excited about the Brian Reynolds pick, and I do think there's value generally to be had with with looking at the NL Central. I think you know as a Brewers fan, and you know this Reynolds is an emerging star, and even if this is the floor. Um, you know, he's established himself in an average format. He's a 300 hitter, 390 on base hitter, um, phenomenal and almost 650 plate appearances. So I think he actually pairs really well with Ozzy Albies, who just from a build perspective, Albies has amazing, you know, five category production. The on base percentage is a tick lower than I think you'd like for it to be. But Reynolds really, I think, just covers a lot of uh, of the roster. And even if he gets traded to another organization, which has 
you know, there's been some whispers of that, that I think this, you know, Reynolds could just be, uh, I think just the next wave of really solid top round producers for the next four years. Yeah. And I mean, I wouldn't even, I wouldn't even mind that as long as it was a place where you're still going to play every day. Right. Cause you know, it's probably a park upgrade. Um, it's probably a, a lineup upgrade. Um, I've, you know, I've heard people compare him to sort of Christian Yelich with the Marlins. Uh, like I wouldn't expect him to take that type of leap, but, uh, you know, I see a lot of similarities with just those two guys as players, um, on these rebuilding clubs. Um, and you know, maybe a, a change of scenery helps take him to a, another level entirely. Um, you know, you made some, you took Tyler Malley in the, the, let's see, um, lose my spot here in the sixth. And then before that, Nick Castellanos, uh, I don't think we have to spend too much time on those guys, but, um, then you went Jorge Blanco, Tommy Edmond, Ian Happ, three, uh, big leaguers like early in their primes, you know, mid twenties. Um, were those, are those three guys that you would consider yourself higher on than most? Was that just a, a matter of like, cause I, I, obviously I was in the draft with you young hitters of this ilk were really flying off the board uh, in the early rounds. So, I mean, those are those three guys that managed to stick around a little bit. Yeah. I think with, you know, just backing up to Castellanos just really quickly, you know, I was considering him or Willie Adamas at that spot. Mm. And I did a little bit of calculus there uh, on the short turn. Uh, there was only one team that didn't pick a shortstop. And I was hoping that, you know, Castellanos fell you know considerably there and still is a 29 year old hitter. Unfortunately, it didn't work out for me. But I think at that point, I was really thinking about pairing Castellanos with a Tommy Edmond or a Miles Straw, you know, both that that kind of speed profile, you know, in the eight to 10 round range. Um, but I mean, with Jorge Polanco at 136 overall, he was the 23rd shortstop taken, you know, guy who hit over 30 home runs and had double digit stolen bases. Uh, that was, that, that really made up for the Adames uh, hurt. Uh, and, and sometimes that's what you need, right. In, in those, in those moments in the draft that you, know, you kind of get knocked off your course. You know, I, I said, wow, well, I, I need a shortstop now. So I, I'm going to pick Polanco when I get Molly, but you know, I just stayed patient and it ended up working out for me, but you know, those, those guys, all, all three of them in Polanco, Edmund and Hap, you know, I think with Hap specifically, you know, I think he's, He's burned fantasy managers before, but he was absolutely incredible in the second half. Um, and in September and October, I mean, we saw what Ian Happ can be, right? He was uh, he put up over a 1020 OPS, eight home runs, seven steals. There's an absolute path to playing time, and he just has to work, you know, for the Cubs and in, in this in the next phase. So, uh, this, this really caps off, I actually, it was a streak of four straight switch hitters. Um, but I, I did really think about, you know, that too, when I'm looking at platoon issues and, and just overall targeting players that, I mean, here is just setting, setting the foundation, all five categories for the next, next few years. Did you, um, so you, I mean, you followed those guys up with uh, your first sort of, 
prospects who aren't going to help you in the short term in uh, Brian Rocio and Brett Beatty in the 10th and the 11th. I'm obviously sky high on Rocio. I'm, I would say I'm probably pretty low on, on Beatty relative to, to the industry. Uh, do you want to make the case for, for taking those two guys? And they're obviously very, they're almost polar opposite uh, hitting prospects. If you think about it. That's really true. So it is helpful, I think, to talk about them together. So this is getting back to that idea where I'm thinking about the overall player pool, right? The the pool of MLB hitters is kind of hitting a point where I think some of the prospects are starting to rise up over the top there. And and same thing with starting pitching, just trying to stay patient, you know, with Bueller, Molly, I can wait on pitching. So I think with Rokio, some of the things that I really like is he's the whole package. And, you know, as a 20-year-old, what he did performing in double A uh, was outstanding. And, you know, I think the gains this year and how he was unlocking power and what he showed was special. And uh, I think when this draft was going on, it was a little bit of the product of taking these two in Rokio and Beatty when I did, because you, know, you think about seeing Rokio doing all these amazing highlights in the Venezuelan league and, and what he was doing down there. And Brett Beatty just finishing up at a very strong AFL where he was one of the top handful of hitters there. So I think part of, part of these two, you know, they had, I, I wanted these two on my squad and and that was kind of what was happening in the new cycle kind of have to pay attention to that while you're drafting. And I think on Beatty too, you know, so, I mean, the knock on Beatty is a few things, but, you know, I think the heavy ground pro the heavy ground ball profile is certainly there. Uh, I think he, he makes a lot of contact and he looks physically very strong. And I think a lot of the, the swing and the line drive is, going to only produce more power and you know third base is pretty tricky in in dynasty so i definitely missed out on a lot of the top names and i think Beatty's a guy who can you know after i missed out on some of the top names i was looking at really a stopgap kind of third baseman at the major league level so then Beatty can can come in in the next year or two uh, and really start producing for me. So, you know, I think even, even Beatty with, with the, you know, he still has the 25 sub 25% K rate. Uh, he's still able to hit for power and there just aren't a lot of, of, of those type of, uh, hitting prospects that are so close to the majors, um, who are, who are really doing it, uh, at the level that he is. You know, one more of my favorite picks of yours besides uh, Reynolds and Rocchio was uh, Patrick Sandoval on the 12th. Um, I'd I'd kind of taken enough pitching. Like, I, I, I didn't want to take a fourth pitcher there um, personally, but I, uh, I mean, I thought it was it was one of those where I was like, man, I can't believe he was still on the board there. Uh, tell tell I could tell you're excited about this one. Uh, how ex- tell me why you're excited about Patrick Sandoval? Yeah, I was. I really wanted Patrick Sandoval, and it took all of my patience to not take him. I was considering him in the eighth round. I mean, it was 
it, I was really trying to stay very disciplined there. And especially with, with those two prospects uh, that I took um, in the 10th and 11th and Rokio and Beatty. I mean, Sandoval was the 69th starting pitcher taken in this draft and he's a 25 year old lefty and throws a lot of strikes, works deep into games, has a huge heavy ground ball profile. The changeup is one of the best secondaries among starters I mean, the, the list kind of goes on and on. And I think Patrick Sandoval is kind of this cautionary tale that the industry has with uh, throwing cold water on a certain organization or so it's like angels pitching. Right. So, you know, I, I think I think if you kind of lift up the veil on on how special Patrick Sandoval can really be, you know, despite a lot of that noise that, you know, he was. I think a guy who is my third starter could very easily produce like a, a solid two uh, with even stretches like a one. Yeah. It's uh, interesting. You say that because I, um, I find myself really, I'm kind of all in on Reed Detmers as well for this upcoming season. And uh, you know, I think there's a chance that these guys, like a guy like Detmers, uh, with him being on the 40 man, um, maybe he works with some non-angels people during the, the, the lockout and, uh, maybe make some, make some strides there. Cause I mean, the, uh, the off-speed stuff is just, it's ready to go. It's just a matter of, uh, you know, locating that fastball, throwing the fastball in, in better counts and maybe pitching backwards a little bit. But, um, yeah, I mean, Sandoval, uh, Sandoval is one of those guys where in, in redraft leagues this year, it's just going to be a question of like, okay, when do I, like, how long can I wait? Cause I want him. I don't want to miss out on him, but I don't want to take up like a hundred spots ahead of ADP either. So um, yeah, he's, he's really exciting. Was there, was there anyone else that you, you really want to touch on before, uh, before I let you go? Yeah. So I think, you know, a couple guys that I like towards in the middle, um, my Lane Thomas and Christian Javier duo, I think was uh, one of my favorite pairings in, in the draft. You know, Lane Thomas, uh, one of many ex-Cardinals who's going out and crushing it uh, somewhere else besides the Cardinals. And I think for a rebuilding Nationals team that he really, I think, turned a lot of heads uh, after the trade uh, that landed him in Washington down the stretch. He was really held down the leadoff spot. And, you know, James, from playing in these deep leagues, I mean, finding starters on the waiver wire is impossible. You know, you, it, it's, it takes a, a stroke of miracle, right. For it to happen. And Lane Thomas was one of those guys, I think that kind of came out of nowhere in, in a, in a, deeper format, you know, was out there on the wire. So I think for him to be there, you know, as my outfield five, I think is totally solid. And Christian Javier, I think goes right into the, into the bin of this is a great pitcher with awesome strikeout skills and the game is evolving. And without this being a quality starts league, I think he's going to produce probably a better, better ratios, probably just as many wins and much higher strikeouts than a lot of the kind of safe mid rotation floor kind of guys. 
uh, that were going in this range. And, you know, just a couple other pairings that I really liked. I know you're high on Blaze Jordan. I picked him in the 23rd round. He was 456 overall. And that was just a really great range for prospects, actually, was went around guys like Jay Allen, Pete Crow Armstrong, Jose Salas, really like all those prospects. And I think Blaze Jordan really showed a lot with the hit tool this year. And he's still so young. And, you know, I think this is, we we all know Blaze Jordan has had a lot of fanfare for a lot of years with the power. Um, So I think this was just a really good spot to pick a prospect of his caliber. Um, And James Caprellian uh, in the 24th round, 138th starting pitcher overall. I mean, this was a guy who pretty much had just a tick over four ERA and, you know, in, in 20 starts with Oakland last year was, was had stretches of real dominance. So, you know, that was kind of my theme for pitching throughout the whole draft um, was really just picking spots with, with guys who have good strikeout numbers who really could well outperform their ADP. Yeah. Blaze Jordan, I still really underrated, which is kind of surprising just given, um, you know, the pedigree and the fact that he's a Red Sox prospect. Uh, I would have thought that, you know, more people would have been kind of pushing him. Um, but yeah, I, I would have been on him there, but I was sort of the way the draft sort of shook out. I wanted to build a team that could compete in year one, just based on how my early picks went. And um, so I was, I, I think I took Corey Knable over him there just to get a, a closer, but um, certainly would have considered Jordan uh, a couple rounds later once I got a couple more big leaguers on the roster. But um, this was a blast, Ben. Um, can you let people know where they can follow you and what you're working on right now? Absolutely. So at Prospects 1500, January is probably our busiest, biggest month. It's our top 30 season. Excuse me, our top 50 season where all 30 teams uh, get published once uh, once a day. So it's an amazing time of year for our site at Prospects 1500. Uh, Scott Green and I are putting together the Sox, the Red Sox top 50. Um, so that'll be dropping at the end of the month. And um, on the heels of the too early ML, I, MILB mock, uh, which I run for the Prospects 1500 site, uh, it's a prospects only mock draft. I am finishing up a first year player draft article uh, that covers you know, an an overview of about the 70 ish players that were taken during that mock just in time for uh, first year player draft season, just coming up after new year's for everybody. And other than that, you can follow uh, my work at prospects 1500 or my Twitter handle is at TB dubs. That's T B D U B B S 11. And just hang with me. We can uh, talk dynasty anytime. And, uh, you know, always appreciate interacting with everybody on Twitter. Well, thanks so much, Ben. Uh, really appreciate you hopping on and enjoy the the rest of your evening. Hey, this was a lot of fun, James. Thank you so much for having me and wish everyone out there safe and happy new year. Awesome. This has been the Rotowire Fantasy Baseball Podcast brought to you by WinBet. We'll be back uh, next week, and we'll be getting into some uh, redraft talk after all this this dynasty fun. Uh, Thanks for tuning in.